Listening to episode 2002 of Sunglasses at Night podcast. Yes, this is the podcast where we put on our metaphorical Ray Bans, or sometimes our actual Ray Bans, yep. and look back at the a year in the past through the lens of the ARIA charts, the Australian Recording Industry Association charts, and ask ourselves what the hell was going on, and you know. Look for some answers. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. Um, 2002, Tom. Big year. Tell me about it. Big year. Yes, quite a lot happened uh, in the news. Uh, we had the 19th Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City, Ooh. home of the world's largest collection of people knocking on doors to tell you about Jesus via a con man who died 160 years ago, <laughs> nowhere near Jesus. <laughs> I assume Salt Lake City homes have some sort of reinforced door technology as standard. Otherwise, they'd be replacing them every three or four weeks. I would oh, the, the amount of door knocking that's going on there, yeah, that, that wood would be getting worn away very, very quickly. Mm. So Just but, be a sort of Jack Nicholson in the Shining scenario be exactly. every other day. Yeah, I think some of those doors would be made out of gold tablets, wouldn't they, <laughs> that someone had dug up somewhere that yes. purported to have the scriptures of Jesus Christ written on them. That's but right. Pr- that would be pretty robust, I think, those gold <laughs> plates, I imagine. So, yes. Yeah, uh, what else? George W. Bush made his famous speech where he described Iraq, Iran, and North Korea as an axis of evil. Yep. Uh, firstly, that has never existed, and secondly, you might notice that none of those countries are Saudi Arabia, the people that knocked down the Twin Towers, but... You know, at the time, people were keen to believe whatever he said for reasons that I'm sure future uh, anthropologists will be able to figure out. Uh, well, he was close. I mean, <laughs> Iraq and Iran are very close. The South, true. You know, Saudi Arabia. They're not the same country, but they're close. No. So he was in the vicinity. <laughs> and North right. Korea, as we know, um, are very good at hacking into things. <laughs> um, Kim Jong Un, I believe. Um, I read the other day, invented the burrito. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, Tom, but Kim Jong-il said, yep, my dad invented the burrito. He called it a wheat wrap, but it was the same thing, just a a flatbread with stuff in it. So you heard it here first, North Korea is claiming that they invented that. So there you go. The axis of evil, we've got computer hacking burrito inventors and Iraq with a, you know, Massive, you know, weapons of mass destruction that weren't really there in Iran. I don't really know what they've been up to. Mm. Suicide bombings, do they get involved in that sort of action? Or I don't know. <laughs> I was going to make an extremely tasteless joke about a North Korean burrito, but I think I'll leave it alone, frankly. <laughs> the people there have suffered enough with they have, um, food-related jokes. Oh, that's it. I mean, and then you finally get the burrito and it's just got rocks in it. It's, <laughs> you know, you unwrap that wheat and it's just full of garbage. So, yeah, I feel uh, for them. <laughs> Uh, the euro became the official currency, not just of the European Union, but of the Eurobeat dance music genre. Oh, absolutely right. Uh, in pop music, Madonna recorded the theme for, and also appeared and said words in, the new James Bond movie, Die Another Day. Mm. Uh, that song-film combination was so badly received that it was out of the pool time for Brosnan, and the franchise took a break for about a decade. 
Yeah. In the grand James Bond movie tradition, however, the stupidest films are also massively successful, and the film made the most money of any Bond film up to that point. So perhaps the public did want to see Pierce Brosnan with a giant fake glued-on beard being tortured by scorpions <laughs> in time so. to a glitch techno Madonna song over a montage of invisible cars and Halle Berry doing some of that acting that she's so good at. Yeah, absolutely. Um, was that... Madonna Bond song better or worse than the Aha James Bond song where <laughs> well, does that rank I personally it? quite like the Aha James yep. Bond song I yep. watched that at a formative time in my life and I quite like that film as well so song or otherwise it's in a better movie that's from The Living Daylights um, yeah Cheryl Crow got involved at one point as well she I did believe, yes she? So, yeah and there it. are some of the older ones that people will stand up for that I don't particularly enjoy yeah there's Definitely. the one that that LJ Hooker song is one of them. <laughs> LJ Hooker, you're the best. It's yeah. That's that's a James Bond song, but I don't particularly like that one. But some people like that one. Look, I do like that they're always looking for whoever the biggest artist is right at that given time. They were looking yes. for someone big. So well, first of all, they did Shirley Bassey for about ten years in a row, yes. and then I think eventually she was like she said, "Jesus, guys, I'm on holiday. Can you think of someone else?" And then they yeah. had to diversify a tad. Yeah, exactly. So, and when you do that, when you're choosing the biggest artists in the world, sometimes that will, you know, long term that'll play quite well, and then other ter- times you'll. Yeah. Yeah. choose someone that was a bit of a flash in the pan fast forward five years and people are going like why in the living shit did we get Duran Duran <laughs> to do the theme song to this Bond that's film? right but yes. I don't know. some of them last you know Shirley uh, Bassey yep. Yep. Uh, yep. Tina Turner some of them not so much aha Duran Duran yeah exactly look but you know I can't wait to see who they will get for the next Bond film mm. I guess it depends who's big at the time Little Nas X maybe can, Little can Nas pop X, up perhaps yep. uh Tones and I maybe. Tones and I doing the Bond theme DJ Sammy DJ Sammy I look forward to all timeless. the opportunities yeah definitely sure alright well that's that was 2002 in a nutshell just perfectly summarized by me you know I don't think I left anything out no that's all the things that I can remember <laughs> the Euro that Madonna thing um, <laughs> George W. Bush there was so. some there was bloody FIFA as well Oh yeah, yeah. Is there? I don't know. I don't think there's any FIFA songs in this year's. Hopefully, there actually is. We'll get to that. Well, well, sort of. We'll get to it later on. But yeah, cool. Not quite the um, cup of life, Ricky Martin style. No, lay, lay, for sure. Well, let's move into the music then, Tom. I think first song of the year, uh, but for one week only. Kicking it off strong is Pink. Get the party started. Yes. Now, right off the bat, I knew this was going to be good even before <laughs> I went and heard it because, Tom, as you know, we do a lot of rigorous research on this. Before I go and listen to the song, um, I, you know, read up all the facts, you know, who wrote this. And I knew this was going to be good off the bat because this is written by Linda Perry from Four Non Blondes. <laughs> so she sure. penned this. So straight away I knew that this is going to be tip-top because Four Non Blondes, they're in my top five bands of all time, Tom. Sure. You probably knew that. Um, people ask me all the time, what are the top five bands? And I'll just reel them off. Four Non Blondes, Crash Test Dummies, Spin Doctors, Hoover Stank and Crazy Town. Mm. I think, you know, that's most people's top five. Um, you know, sure. probably four of the five, a bit of room there to move. But Four Non Blondes, they left us with just the one album uh, and a Led Zeppelin cover that is obviously better than the original. The cover is always better than the original. What's going on? That's a 90s rock song that should be spoken about in the highest regards. So, you know, sort of like your ugly kid Joe Neighbor, extreme more than words. Spin Doctors, Little Miss Can't Be Wrong. It's up there, I think, with a very... Hey, yeah, yeah, what's yeah. going on? 
Not annoying at all. <laughs> very, very good song. It so certainly good screams early 90s in a very loud voice through a megaphone. A lot of striped socks. Outside your socks. window at 6am <laughs> until you beg for it to stop. Yep. Yeah. A lot of striped socks, a lot of top hats <laughs> with flying goggles around them. Yeah. A lot of unnecessary white people dreadlocks that yeah, exactly. should have known better then and should know better now. But yeah. Yeah. Linda Perry uh, talked about this song, uh, writing this song. She said, uh, I got Pro Tools and set it all up. Get the Party Started was just me figuring out what all this stuff does. I came up with that beat, laid it down, found all these weird chords and sounds and put the horns. Then I went back to my guitar for the wah-wahs. I was just having fun. I picked up a microphone and said, I'm just going to say every cliched line I can think of. And I came up with Get the Party Started on a Saturday night and wrote a bunch of stuff down. I called up my manager afterwards and said, I just wrote a damn hit. It was too easy. <laughs> said that in Rolling Stone in 2019. So I guess we can pile... We still need a name for these, but we can file that into the Rotor in Half an Hour yeah. Club. You know, the Stock Aiken Waterman came up with it in the limo on the way to the gig. Wrote it in five yeah. minutes type yep. thing. Yeah, and not even that. It sounds like she was literally just figuring out how to use the equipment, just turning yeah. some knobs and pushing well, some buttons. Well, Pro Tools must have been fucking on. brand new back then, so maybe she just heard it was the hottest shit out. You Would know? have been one of the very early yeah. iterations, I'd say. So Anyway, she sent this to Madonna, but Madonna didn't want it, mm. so Pink got it. Yeah. Um, and you can tell that Perry started out in the grunge era because she's obviously not comfortable being thought of as a pop songwriter, despite those being 90% of the songs she's written, if yep. you look at her songography. It's clear from the interview that Perry still thinks of herself as being a sort of dark rock and roll grunge type person. So my question is, how many dubious pop hits can you crank out before you have to officially stop thinking of yourself as a rock and roll star? Yeah, it's a fair question. If you've written one rock song and 47 pop songs, mm. then you're definitely just in the pop production. That's system, right. So. And also, why, if you're that rich and you've done that much, had that much success, why get self-conscious about writing songs for boy bands? Like, you know, yep. you're listed on Wikipedia. Everyone knows which songs you wrote. Why not just go lean into it and go, I don't give a fuck, I've got millions of dollars <laughs> suck my dick. Yeah, true. Playing a grunge band on the weekend with a bunch of people who... Yep. You know, don't care. Yeah, definitely. It, it does seem weird that she would care because obviously she wants to say that she used to. She, she's grunge at heart because that sort of um, gives us some street cred, I guess. Yeah, so it's like it's that it's that Generation X thing of that. Like we talked about before, that idea of selling out and stuff like that. That yep. somehow, if you write songs for other people and they're not the stuff you would like to play, then that's a failure of some sort. You know. Yeah. Whereas nowadays, people would be fucking grateful to have one song like this. Like you know. Oh, you exactly. Build a career out of writing a song for Pink by accident yep so look good on her she's done well post Four Non Blondes I am hoping that Four yeah. Non Blondes do reunite at some stage for what's that what's your favourite uh, Four Non Blondes hit that's not what's going on Ben oh definitely that Led Zeppelin cover <laughs> <laughs> which was uh, which <laughs> um, was it um, Misty Mountain Hop it I was good it was. call so, yeah. I had that album that was off Encomium that was, yeah that's yeah. quite a fun little cover absolutely right sure. better than the original as well dare I say so um, <laughs> Tom can you answer me this when did Pink start stylizing her name P and then an exclamation point NK. Has she always done that? I I wasn't able to tell. Yeah. At, at first, when I first saw it written down, I thought, oh, I think she stopped doing that later on. But then 
racking my brains, I, can't, I wasn't 100% sure, man. You've yeah. got me. I mean, it is pretty dumb. Oh, it's something a child would do, basically. <laughs> you know, if, if a 12-year-old... A teenager, a t- if a teenager did that, that's okay. But she's a grown woman, and the fact that she... If she does, if she, well, I'm assuming that she does. Let's assume that she does. If she's still doing that to this day, Tom, she is still doing that today. Yeah. It's a disgrace. Yeah, you know? that's some bewitched level B asterisk. Yeah, and, I, and I, no, her real name's not Pink anyway. Just start <laughs> performing under your real name. I Next think. Next, you'll be so telling that. me that's not her real hair color. Bit. No, I don't know whether it is. Look, well, uh, speaking of looking fucking stupid, yeah. uh, the look of this video is about as millennial as it's possible to get. Uh, most of it takes place sped up as a house full of girls get ready to go out. Mm-hmm. So, of course, there's a wacky outfit montage before Pink <laughs> decides on her super cool going out gear, yep. which is two pounds of gel to create Bart Simpson spite <laughs> hair, long-sleeved orange mesh midriff top, <laughs> Good. wash day bra, black fingernails, lots and lots of ethnically and indeed ethically questionable <laughs> chunky TLC jewellery, <laughs> Calvin Klein boxes under jeans that hang below your ass. And basically, she looks like Alana from Broad City, except 20 years earlier and not joking. It's it's not a great look. I mean, she changes it up through the show, but none of the things really are an improvement, especially not those fucking... Do you remember those giant stone gossard from Pearl Jam style weird caps that people used to wear? Like, you took a... You took a flat cap off some old British guy and then stuffed like a teddy bear into it and balanced it on your head. I don't know what the fuck that was about. (laughs) She pulls that off. Apparently they were hot shit. Not only that, but this is 2002. This stuff is well late 90s, so it's not even... This isn't even really... It's like five years late as well. It is five years late, yeah. Yeah. But in some ways, 20 years earlier, I think, is what I would say. I look forward to seeing that. Oh, it's all coming back. Yeah, very, it's very all soon. coming back. Yeah. Look, um, this song won the award for Favourite Song at the Kids' Choice Awards of 2002. <laughs> is there any higher accolade than winning an award decided by children, Tom? Because they are the most discerning of listeners. And might I also add... I believe that children are the future. So it doesn't I, get said enough. Though. No, I'm, I don't glad, think it does. I'm glad you're willing to, to point that out. Yeah, so I don't know what's on Pink's mantelpiece. There's probably a Grammy on there. I don't know. I've not done the research, but I'm sure she looks at that People's Choice Award. She looks at that Grammy. She looks at all that stuff and says, "No, thank you." Favorite song of the Kids' Choice Awards is what I'm most proud of. I'm sure you know, she's eight got year olds a, going. I love this song. Is what you want to hear. I'm sure she's got a framed photograph of the time she got uh, slimed on the Nickelodeon. No Best doubt. song of the year awards. Yeah, probably when receiving the award for yeah, I think they you get a surfboard don't you? if you win on one the of other those. Hand, um, I'm not sure if you watched the MTV Music Awards recently, but the line between the MTV Music Awards and the Kids Choice Awards is getting very <laughs> fucking thin. Gossamer fine line, I would say. So really, you know, let's face it. They're the same people buying, the downloading the Spotify. So oh, no doubt, absolutely. Look, um, as you mentioned, the music video for this, she's got a weird outfit, but it's also it's it's a veritable who's yeah. who industry. So there's you a few get faces. Pink's in there, obviously. Um, the bartender in the music video is Linda Perry from Four Non Blondes, as we've discussed, who wrote this song. The end of the video features uh, Pink dancing with future <laughs> Mr. Britney Spears K Fed. <laughs> no shit, so, is yep, that who that yep, was? K Fed is in there, this. keeping it real. Talk about talent. Remember, this is a 
man who wrote the lyrics, I want to see your titties and a little bit of kitty. So K-Fed is, he's I, always been great. Don't think I recognised him without the uh, white boy cornrows. <laughs> no, exactly. Him and exactly. Axel Rose are trying to bring back. For sure. Now, this is the lead single uh, off the album titled Misunderstood. Mm. Now, now how, do you, how would you the, spell that? Well, the less you know about spelling, the better chance you have of finding this in Google Tom. It's... M I S S is in miss and then no space U N D A Z T O D. So I don't know. Mm. I'm not a big fan of this misspelling <laughs> bullshit. I've never liked no, it. No, again, it's kind of a late 90s thing as well. Yeah. Like, yeah, I think it's clear from this title that she was still partly being branded as a bit too close to a one woman white TLC for my liking, as yep. in her previous stuff. I mean, that's a tough trick to pull off, and changing S's to Z's isn't going to do it. But on this album, she starts going a bit dancier, and it obviously works, like yep. she's leading away from sort of fake hip-hop. I mean, it worked better than shit punk, like, so what, anyway, that she went into. Yeah. And compared <laughs> to that, this song, this is like Tchaikovsky. <laughs> I legitimately think that song has one note. Like, it sounds like someone banging on a piano because they're angry. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Look, yeah, it's it's not, not the finest, but this is purportedly one of the best party anthems of the 90s, <laughs> of all time, sorry, um, that I've I read in a list of best party anthems of all okay. time. <laughs> so, but if I walked in the door of a party and this was being played in earnest, I think I'd just walk <laughs> straight, straight out of the house. I think I would leave. I don't really have any interest in hearing this. Um, it could be worse. I guess someone could be playing rock anthem by LMFAO, so, mm. which is probably mm. one of the worst party <laughs> anthems of all time. But I don't know. The ultimate party anthem is obviously Pump Up the Jam by Technotronic. Sure, sure. Um, I would say, followed by <laughs> Spin That Wheel by High Tech 3. Oh, I haven't heard that for a long time. And enough. then, of course, AB Logic, the Hitman. So I think they're very... I don't know. What do you think? Is it, Do you have an ultimate party anthem, Tom? Because it's not this. It's well, not this pink song. I'm familiar with those lists, and they do end up being as vanilla and generic as possible. I bet yeah. you $100 that number one on that list was either Love Shack or Delight Grooves in the Heart, <laughs> which I like both of, but are very, very, very obvious choices. Oh, indeed. But, yeah. I actually don't hate this. Like I said, by comparison, I think this is... I preferred this era of her stuff better than her later crappy punk and her earlier shitty hip-hop. Oh, yeah, those eras Like, if this is just a song about getting amped to go out and yeah. get drunk. Like, and in that respect, I reckon it's fine. Like, in fact, I think it might possibly be my favourite Pink song, which is a high bar to clear... <laughs> Just kidding, it's about as high as the level of sexual assault training received by conservative Australian politicians. <laughs> but, you know, hey, look, maybe Pink's brand of baby shower girl power helped a new generation of women to recognise pieces of shit like them? Like, what do you reckon? Or, do you, or was this all just performative attitude on her part, this whole sort of, you know, kind of high school punk sort of thing? Look, to say that this is your favourite era of pink is faint praise Tom but um, I'd have to agree because that fake punk shit is terrible I feel I like they, you started off with like Riot Girl in the early 90s which was a kind of legitimate yeah. what is it like third wave feminist yeah. sort of thing which then got sort of watered down into girl power which yes. was a kind of sort of hose before bros kind of Spice Girls type thing yep. and then that got watered down into this sort of danger field you know, <laughs> fucking 
pink and black half goth emo sort of piss weak punk yep. thing you know about yeah as we'll see later on well, I, this I don't know bikini I'm, I'm kill, sure. let's, put, let's put it that way this is terrible so what are the lyrical highlights um, well, that Linda penned in 15 minutes <laughs> yes as you say yep. um, pumping up the volume breaking down to the beat cruising through the west side we'll be checking the scene Boulevard is freaking as I'm coming up fast. I'll be burning rubber. You'll be kissing my ass. Pull up to the bumper. Get out of the car. License plates is stunner number one superstar. Yeah. Now, Ben, imagine you met someone with that number plate. Yep. Uh, what's the first person you're imagining in your head? That has a um, stunner, stunner number one superstar mm. as a license plate. What do they look like? Oh, look, I imagine that it's like a off-brand Paris Hilton. Maybe Mickey <laughs> Hilton. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure. not sure. Someone I, like that. I'm definitely imagining James Franco's drug dealer from Spring Breakers. Oh, yeah. That guy. That you sounds know, about right. <laughs> pink alien face hubcaps on. You know, <laughs> Absolutely. Trying to sell you weed. <laughs> yeah. looks suspiciously like he clipped it out of somebody's rosemary plant out yeah. the front of their house. Yeah. Anyway, that's that's about as highlighted as you get. As you say, you know, she literally just said, look, I wrote it in 10, wrote it in minutes. ten minutes. There you go. <laughs> um, so you can buy this for 30 cents on Discogs, oh, CD single. Thought, and Pink's got 27 million uh, monthly uh, listeners, yeah, which is out big. of control. People love it. Um, yeah, hopefully they're listening to this because, as you said, the material before and the material after, it's it just progressively worse. So. Well, I am not a 13-year-old girl, no, so it's true. been a long time since I was 13 or yep. a girl, so yeah, exactly. I'm really not the target audience. No, I'm not the target audience for this either, so there you go. Um, someone out there obviously enjoys it, 27 million well, a month. Well, sure. Cool. All right, All right up next uh, for two weeks is Enrique Iglesias, Hero. Mm, suddenly now, Linda Perry doesn't seem so nah, bad. No, look, this is fucking boring. And look, you know that Nickelback song called Hero? <laughs> when a hero. Um, that's significantly better than this, and that fucking sucks, that yeah. song. So this yes. is um, this is no good. I was bored shitless. Um, but what I will say is the video featured Jennifer Love Hewitt. It did, in, yes. Uh, in a more mature role compared to her work in um, whatever the other bullshit what she was last doing. Summer, which just came out recently. I was thinking Party of Five. But, uh, oh, yeah. sure. <laughs> but, yeah. I know, yeah. Hey, actually, that's true. Let yep. me just check. I reckon, I bet you this is just after... Um, I, I know what you, you did, did last, last summer. summer. Look, um, did you ever <laughs> Sorry, see I, I Know What You Did Last Summer? Or the sequel? Because it was either I Know What You Did Last Summer or I Know What You Did Last oh, Summer yeah, no, 2. five years after. Um, sure. Where, <laughs> I can't remember, but they made Jennifer Love Hewitt wear a wet, tight tank top for like three quarters of the film. Yeah, I can't remember which film it was. I remember seeing it and they just went, oh, it's just going to rain. And mm. you just have to be out in the rain mm. wearing this see-through top the whole time. She so also does, bad for her she for does spend quite a lot of this video also wearing a wet, tight tank top. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. She was typecast. Typecast in the... I think the poster of the first I Know What You Did Last Summer features just her wearing her. a wet, tight tank yeah, top as well. So. exactly. So, you know... It's unfortunate that, I guess, back in those days, there was a bit of a power dynamic where you probably couldn't say, no, I don't want to do that. Mm. Can I wear dry clothes, please, and not white? Um, But look, Jennifer Love Hewitt, she had a pop crew of her own, Tom, you may recall. I forgot about that. And you know that someone in the pop world is red hot when the record company decides to only release your albums (laughs) in Japan? You know that that's sort of... And that's that's clever marketing Mm. to say, Mm. uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, Japan only. 
because we really want to target, you know, we think you're a great performer, but we're just going to... It does create scarcity. An air of mystique and exoticism. Absolutely. So um, when you think of other artists that have followed in those, (laughs) or have done the same thing, Japan only, um, Edward Furlong, um, (laughs) huge artist, obviously. Um, Does anyone listening to this understand any of the words I've said in the last five (laughs) sentences? Uh, is this where we lose people, Tom, in the podcast? I know that people are obviously on board with a large amount of Ice MC and Culture Beat talk, but Jennifer Love Hewitt and Edward Furlong, do anybody know who those people are? How dare Young you? Young people? Be. How Sorry. dare you? Sorry. Everyone remembers Edward Furlong from his crucial role in one of the best action movies ever made. Of course, I'm talking about Pekka by John Waters, <laughs> the film that first explained teabagging to a new generation of straight people. Of course, I'm joking. The real thing people remember Edward Furlong from is his starring role in the action classic Arachno Quake in 2012. <laughs> He's done some good work. Mm, I think he was in Pet mm, Cemetery mm. 2. Yes, well, speaking of excellent movies that will last the test of time, this video is an eight years too late Tarantino knockoff. Uh, it also features Mickey Rourke and Iglesias failing to act even by the incredibly loose standards of a non-speaking role in a three-minute pop video. Uh, the whole thing looks like a Levi's ad from 1995, and frankly, my wife Jennifer Love Hewitt deserves better than this, yes, I think. Yes, completely you know. agreed. Completely and agreed. When I get home, I'm going to tell her that she should have tried harder in that. Yeah, no, no doubt. Look, should we cover off some Enrique Iglesias facts? Sure, yes. Um, His dad is Julio Iglesias. Yep. um, One of the most successful musicians in Europe. He's Mm. apparently sold 100 million albums worldwide. Fucking hell. I mean, he was... was, was like singing for 50 years yeah exactly so when you think of it 100 million million, 100 million is not that great when you consider how long he's been around like it's not (laughs) it's not really that good is it when you think 2 million a year yeah exactly you know MJ probably sold 100 million and and he died a few years ago so I don't know but um, apparently Enrique's organs are on the opposite side of his body oh he's got that reversed organs thing yeah exactly so if you see him having a heart attack, make sure you, you pump the right bit or whatever you're meant to do. <laughs> I'm not do. Sure. Uh, in 1981, his grandfather was kidnapped by an armed militia group in Spain. So the kids were sent to live in Miami. Yep. So he had to flee to Miami, which is probably where he learnt um, all of his great musical skills <laughs> from Pitbull. We know he's friends yep. with Pitbull, sure, so I probably Mr. met up with him. Yep. And he's also married to former Russian tennis player Anna Kornikova. The... Julio is or Enrique is? Uh, Enrique. Ah, okay. Yeah, Yeah, that would make more sense. (laughs) You never know, though, with these old rich guys, you know, the fact that someone else is 40 years younger than them does not necessarily make any difference. But, yeah, I'm sure they bonded over their shared respect for people who have more physical appeal than talent per se. Oh, no doubt. Absolutely right. Look, um, he had a lot of Spanish language hits, but this is his first English language number one. And fortunately for this podcast, he never reaches those dizzying heights again. Although he did get to number two with a duet featuring Pitbull, as we mm-hmm. talked about their friends, um, featuring part of Lionel Richie's All Night Long titled I Like It. Okay. So it's Pitbull, it's Enrique together, sort of, um, you know, sampling uh, Lionel Richie sounds great. And in that song, um, it appears to be about Enrique, whose girlfriend's away. She's on holiday. So he's finger slaying another chick on the dance floor and whose boyfriend is also out of town. Yeah. So that's that's the lyrical content of the song. They talk all about it. Your boyfriend's out of town. So that's dick, which is pretty, you know, that's 
part and parcel. Yep. Pitbull shows up. He's certainly on coke for his rap part. And the song <laughs> itself sounds like an early 90s Eurobeats classic. So it's high energy compared to this piece of shit. And I would take that. Yeah, I way. listened to that and I would say it's better than this. Yep. But, you know, they're both like, yeah, they're both pretty bad. And the videos too, like much like late period George Michael, the appearance of Iglesias in the videos is so utterly micromanaged that he comes off looking like one of those CGI actors from the new <laughs> Star Wars films. He like, doesn't look real. Yeah. No, if you've never seen him, imagine a sort of desperately heterosexual brunette Ken doll with stubble that has clearly been applied using an airbrush and stencils yep. made out of plastic. It just, yeah. It's, and it's like they've turned up the brightness just on his teeth which are already bright enough to be seen from the light aircraft passing overhead. It's just, he just looks like he's not really there. It's really weird. And they just do it specifically just to him. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine there's some sort of contract about how bright his teeth have to be in his appearances. (laughs) No doubt. Look, but, so that was good to see that because of this song was so boring that Pitbull came along to really pump it up (laughs) and sort of get him going, you know, sort of make him a bit of a high energy Miami based type uh, track for him. Um, But Enrique returns the favour appearing on one Pitbull track on his Global Warming album, yep. which is pretty good. So, and as we've talked about before, it's good to see Pitbull tackling, you know, one of the biggest humanitarian issues, mm. I guess, of our time at 160 beats per minute. So thanks, yeah. Pitbull. I mean, people might wonder about Pitbull doing a Global Warming album, but if you've seen his height and his haircut, it's obvious that he's going to be one of the first to suffer from both rising sea levels and UV radiation Oh, absolutely increases. right. So you know, He's got a lot to lose. Yeah, definitely. And, <laughs> and he lives in Miami, which is about at sea level. <laughs> Anyway. Uh, yeah, exactly. That's that's the thing. Like he probably, I assume there was a time where people didn't give a flying shit about <laughs> global warming, but when they no. said Miami's going under, he's like, <laughs> oh right. fucking hell, and then better release an album. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, okay, lyrically speaking, um, this was written by Mark Taylor, Paul Berry, and Iglesias in 2012, and called Hero. Did they write it directly to cash in on the victims of the September 11 attacks? I'll let history be the judge of that one. <laughs> yes. But uh, the lyrics are certainly reminiscent of a huge fucking disaster anyway. Um, oh, I just want to hold you. I just want to hold you. Oh, yeah. Am I in too deep? Have I lost my mind? Well, I don't care. You're here tonight. I can be your hero, baby. I can kiss the pain away. Oh, yeah. I will stand by you forever. You can take my breath away. Yeah. Can you kiss away the pain of listening to this song, Enrique? Because we obviously need to make out probably the only convincing thing he manages to do in this entire song video process is pash on with fucking Jennifer Love Hewitt, which is probably not something that really requires a lot of acting chops. No, exactly. Look, you can't kiss away the pain of this song, Tom. (laughs) I didn't even think his voice was that amazing. Like, his dad had a legitimately good voice I don't know maybe I'm missing something no I think that maybe he it's was just able the stubble to, I don't know I think probably he was able to get into the industry based on <laughs> um, nepotism perhaps and it turns out that look he's not a bad looking guy but his, his music's dog shit so look yeah look good enough for Anna Kornikova to, to jump on board so it's alright <laughs> sure um, look Two cents you can buy this for yep. 17 million people that's a lot of fucking people it but is. look Spanish language songs as well so he has a a, I mean that's 83 million people less than his dad sold albums so yeah yeah exactly cool all right moving on next is Kylie Minogue in your eyes for one week now Mm. fuck Kylie could do no wrong in the eyes of the general public at the start of the millennium she's in the last few weeks she's had 
uh, a lot of number ones. They've been coming thick and fast. Yep, absolutely. This is a bit of a new disco hit. Yep, another one. Uh, Second single from Fever, after Can't Get You Out of My Head, that was another number one, which is a better song, in my opinion, with the more interesting production, Mm -hmm. which is probably because this was produced and co-written by three different people to that song, and most of their experience seems to revolve around B-tier girl and boy bands like Five, I've, Little Mix, Atomic (laughs) Kitten, and Spice Girls solo projects, which probably explains the lack of originality and a certain thinness to the sound, whereas Can't Get You Out of My Head had big... You know, it's a lot international better. producers. Yeah, I can't remember what the guy's name was, but that was yeah. It just sounds way more interesting. Absolutely. Look, yeah, I agree. This isn't as good as that song, but look, it's still good enough. Um, yeah, it's a bit weird. This was the second single. I would have put this way down the list. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> further no down the list. No but, doubt. But look, hey, it, it was a number one for one week anyway. So yeah, exactly. And look, when you watch the music video to this, it has that sort of vibe that in mm. two thousand two they dropped about eight million dollars on LED lights. <laughs> Look, they were very exciting at the time, okay? You, like, it's probably hard for young people to <laughs> understand, but there was a period of time where you couldn't go to Bunnings and spend $80 and get some batshit crazy LED no. setup. <laughs> Nowadays, you, just, you can go down to the Kmart or you can go to the supermarket probably yeah. and just get a carton of milk and an LED setup <laughs> that's fit for a 21st birthday party. Um, but back in the day, you had to spend significant amounts of money. Mm. And this has got a lot of fucking LED lights in it. It's, it's out of yeah, control. Like, same as people dancing in front of big screens and dancing in front of projections as well. That yeah. used to be more exciting as well. You couldn't just get a 30-foot wide television projection for 500 bucks <laughs> off exactly. the internet the way you can now. Exactly. Now, look, I don't know if this video contains an iconic outfit like the last few we've mm. talked about like the small shorts and the various other outfits but at one point she does appear, appear to be wearing a halter <laughs> top that's made from those plastic straps that you see hanging from the front of fish and chip shops in the 80s <laughs> yes, so I don't know sure. what in the living shit's it's going on multi-coloured multi-coloured curtains that always feel disgustingly greasy yep. when you have to push through yeah them. exactly so she's just wearing strips of plastic halter top uh, with a pair of very small red shorts with like a wedding dress train billowing in the breeze yeah. Off the shorts. I don't know what's going yeah. on, but it's pretty iconic, the, and I assume it's probably at a museum somewhere. <laughs> the problem is that after her last two epically popular Dawn Shadforth videos uh, spinning around and uh, can't get you out of my head, yep. people kept trying to recreate that dreamy disco sex robots on ecstasy at the club vibe yep. and not quite getting there. Like the song itself, this is fine, it's just a bit too similar to the last few hits while lacking the sort of hint of weirdness or imagination of her more left-of-field 90s stuff. Absolutely. But, yeah, on the plus side, the cover to this single is a heavily focused portrait of Kylie's armpit. Ah. So for all of you people out there in the AP fetishist community, <laughs> uh, get on board with this one. <laughs> Indeed. So, it's really um, weird. It's, it's only like 63 cents it's on like Discord. It's like it's been so. cropped like 10 centimetres Bottom yeah, left wrong. by accident, like yeah. Anyway, we've already sent it to press. Let's just <laughs> it's too roll late. with that. It's too late. Yeah, exactly. So, look, if you were going to a Kylie concert in circa two thousand and two, and were yelling out for locomotion, play sure. locomotion, you'd have fucking brain damage, wouldn't you? I mm. mean, holy shit! Musically, this is the most fun time of Kylie. There's oh, a totally. lot of bangers coming out around these time, like this time. These songs are twenty years old. 
still sound very good so back then yep. they would have been great when they just came out um, look the shit that came out in 1987 sounded dated as shit by 1989 yeah. so I I mean, and perversely like this was like a disco sort of um, a, a disco kind of minor comeback yep. and it's since kind of had another minor resurgence which leads me to believe that very much unlike Stock Aitken and Waterman disco in the form of you know electronic danceable music with nice female vocals is going to just stay around forever in some form or another so this shit will be playing in clubs oh, for another hundred years whereas nobody's going to be fucking listening to I should be so lucky lucky exactly. lucky lucky outside of a Guantanamo Bay torture cell <laughs> I think that's it um, electronic music electronic dance music with female vocals that's well produced yeah, and yes. sounds interesting and good people with a good hook like, yeah you're yeah. right people will be listening they to that they still listen to fucking 70s time. disco people still play Donna sure. Summer at parties yeah. and as stuff. long as the production's good and it sounds alright yeah. um, you know not like that other bullshit from the 80s so yeah good uh, 63 cents for this as I mentioned oh really 8 mil on Spotify yep. she's got a lot lyrical highlights uh Destiny has a funny way when it comes and takes all your cares away. That's not what destiny means. <laughs> I can't think of a single thing other than what a beautiful state I'm in. Okay. Careful, never go full ecstasy or they won't sell you in Kmart. Oh, is the world still spinning around? Reference to her last hit. Oh, I don't feel like coming down. Oh, not quite. Just dodged it again. <laughs> we still know you talk about ecstasy. This is what I mean. This, all the songs from this era are like this. They all just basically sound like they're two syllables away from openly talking about ecstasy but you know yep. you can't quite say it <laughs> um, what, if, what if you're very subtle Tom ease are good ease are good Ebenezer good yes. ease are good ease that are good. was never designed for a mainstream audience the surprise with that is that it ever got played on fucking yep. radio is <laughs> Ebenezer good so fucking power to them good stuff sure um, alright up next Tom for six weeks a bit mm. longer. We've had a lot of short ones so far. Shakira, whenever, wherever. Boom. Six weeks, yes. Um, this was so an entree to the Australian scene. Absolutely this introduced right. introduced people to her. For sure, yeah. So, anyway. Indeed. Shakira was a child performer who mm. managed to navigate the difficult path of whatever that entails uh, and have a successful adult career, which is not easy. So, no. so child performer um, back when she was doing Spanish language albums. Yep. So she released her first album when she was 13 and it sold 1,200 copies. So no one really gave a fuck, but it gave her a start and story of persistence because in the second grade, she was rejected for the school choir because her, um, her vibrato was too strong. And the music teacher told her that she sounded like, quote, a goat, end quote. So, I mean, Christ Almighty, I can only imagine the Me Too shit that she would have gone through. Yep. Uh, at least she had the sense to marry a guy that wasn't her manager and then dump him for a hot toy boy later on. <laughs> and also, I mean, you hate to say it, but there is a certain goat-like quality to her voice. Oh, yeah, no doubt. <laughs> I'm sure if she looked like a goat but sang like Pavarotti, she still definitely would have sold 80 million albums, though. I'm, yeah. I'm, I, I trust the, exactly. you know, the fundamental decency of human beings to look past that. But I sort of think that, you know, you imagine Shakira, she's, she just wants to be in the school choir. She gets rejected because mm. she sounds like a goat. And then she's teased, oh, look at Shaki goat, old oh, goaty goat Shakira. <laughs> she has to, you know, live through that for a whole high school days. Mm. Oh, look at that Shakira. She can't sing. She sounds like a fucking goat. Uh -huh -huh. People laughing at her, teasing her. 
And then Vengeance, though, Tom, is a dish best served cold. And I gathered by 2002 she would have been tracking down that music teacher on MySpace, sending her a DM and saying, fuck up, cunt. I have a number one song. I'm famous absolutely everywhere. You can go eat a dick, I think. Because, you know... Or maybe it was the teasing from the school kids that gave her that little bit of extra oomph to maybe sort of so. to power through. So if it wasn't for the goat comment, maybe she wouldn't have persisted with music. I don't yeah. really know. Some, there's a certain personality type that actually responds to uh, challenges yep. well, uh, setbacks, and I admire those people. Yeah. There's a, I'm not a big fan of their music particularly, but the Dresden Dolls did a song about, which was about the same thing. The song was about being told by her music teacher that her voice was not good enough to yep. sing in a band. Yeah, yeah. And it was just basically saying, well, what about this then? This is, I'm in a band and this is on the radio. And so, For yeah. sure. Look, and the thing is, a good voice has never been any sort of no. obstacle. You know, lack of good oh, voice, no. I say, Not for pop it? charts, no. Exactly right. And so. if you just coincidentally happen to look like Shakira as well. It certainly helps. It certainly helps. Look, um, so Gloria Estefan helped to learn English, if you Ah, can believe that. Yeah, she was an earlier crossover dance Latino Yeah, exactly. So helped to learn English. Uh, 2001, she released her sixth album and first English language one. So she'd pumped out five um, Spanish language albums before this. Laundry Service, uh, she'd released a dozen Spanish hit singles, this went to number one in loads of countries, and in 2006, to honour her, her hometown built a six-ton, five-metre Shakira statue. <laughs> now, is that going over the top? Five metres? Um, or is that is that sort of bigger... That's the right size for a Shakira statue? I don't that's know. That's a big the one, well, fucking statue. The I mean, Kylie Minogue one that, that used to be at the Docklands, they've take, it's in a shed somewhere now. Where did they take They it took away? it away for some reason. They'll put it back, I guess. I don't know. They're probably cleaning or something. It's in a shed. That was that was Kylie size. Yeah, the that bon, was about the Bon size. Scott one in Fremantle was Bon Scott size. They're, and yeah. they were both about the same height, e.g. Yeah. just nudging four foot. <laughs> exactly. So, so yeah, five metres tall. That, I mean, how big is that Jesus statue in Brazil, Tom? Is, how big <laughs> is are they? You know, he hey, was purportedly the son of God. In so South America, they just like their figures <laughs> very large. They do, they do. So, because that's the thing. Let's imagine that the the world ends next year. Let's hope it doesn't, but it might do. And then <laughs> some people, you know, centuries later come out and, and then they get down to South America and they're like, here's this Jesus figure and here's this Shakira figure. Yeah. Who's, who was the bigger? I mean, to be fair, it says uh, five, six tons. Yep. It doesn't say six tons of what? Doesn't yeah. have to be bronze. It could be six tons of loose rubble. I mean, have you seen some contemporary sculpture? Yeah, I have. I think about uh, eight hundred years ago, people <laughs> lost the art of being able to make realistic human figures out of any form of sculpture anymore. Yeah. So the best you get is something that looks like it was attacked by a child with a putty knife halfway through the moulding process. Yeah, but vaguely resembles a human, or you know, who knows? Look, it might, it be might look trash. like one of those things out of the foyer of an office building. That's just a bunch of, you know, rusted metal loosely welded together, and <laughs> you know, it's like a whale skeleton or something. It just says Shakira at the bottom. Yeah, that's very true. I haven't actually seen it in the <laughs> flesh, but look, I want to look it up now. I mean. Also, oh. I can't imagine if it is if it does look like her. There must be a lot of photos of people, rude photos of people, you know, posing with that. Oh, <laughs> it's five minutes tall. Yeah, exactly. Look, when when we can fly again, Tom, I'll be heading straight so, down to South America and checking this I out. So. Guarantee you, somewhere on the internet, there is a 
entire community which has a very specific name and a whole bunch of jargon which is sexual fetishists of men who fantasise about being very small with a very large woman <laughs> that can pick them up and put them in their handbag and I think a lot of them are probably booking flights uh, over to that statue so they can you know indulge themselves with oh. some creative photography in the middle of the night probably no doubt that's my guess <laughs> probably. anyway probably. moving on from that um, uh, sorry yeah uh, look yeah, yeah so have you got something Tom or I was going to say that uh, because this album was created for the English language market, it was her first English language one, as you said. Yep. Uh, the rock and Spanish dance influenced album had mixed critical success. Um, with some critics, I mean, it had commercial success, but critical critical success was a bit mixed. Some critics claimed that her English skills were too weak for her to write songs for it. Yep. You know, Elizabeth Mendesberry in Vibe said. While a Spanish language album sparkled with elegant wordplay, this record is rife with cliches both musically and lyrically. For anglophone Latin lovers, Shakira's lyrics are best left to the imagination. Despite this fact, the album became the best-selling album in 2002, selling more than 13 million copies worldwide, and became the most successful album of her career to date. The album earned her the title as the biggest Latin female crossover artist in the world, and she sold 80 million mm. albums in total, which is getting towards fucking Julio Iglesias' territory. <laughs> Pity about the lyrics, though, because, like they say, yeah, she's also rumoured to have a very high IQ, mm. a real Ben Shapiro, if you will. <laughs> so it would be good to hear these songs with a bit of wit in their original language instead of that sort of ESL magic that we've come to become accustomed to, you know? Oh, yeah, exactly right, exactly. Um, look, yeah, uh, lucky that... I was going to mention it later, Tom, but I can bring it up now this does feature the timeless lyrics um lucky that my <laughs> lips not only mumble they spill kisses like a fountain lucky that my breasts are small and humble so you don't confuse them with mountains yeah i mean that might be some clever uh, like elegant play on words in spanish like with like puns woven through it or something you know and in yep. english it just sounds really weird like people were joking about that even at the time my <laughs> lips don't mumble my breasts are small and humble but don't be confused with mountains yeah yeah that's uh, good anyway <laughs> uh, yeah I, I prefer that over whatever um, hey it's more interesting than bloody Enrique uh, Iglesias yeah. crapping on about love exactly look but I think the thing about Shakir is that she was a child star but also she never sort of forgot where she came from she was um, as she mentioned um, you know she's humble her breasts are and herself <laughs> both are humble um, and when she was a child her father took her to a local park to see the orphans who live there yeah. and the image stayed with her and she said to herself one day I'm going to help these kids when I became uh, when I become a famous artist yeah. so and she did that according to the Panama Papers it was revealed <laughs> that she's the sole shareholder of a Malta based company which was used to transfer 30 million dollars in music rights offshore mm -hmm. um, and in July 2021 a Spanish judge ruled that there was evidence of criminality sufficient for Shakira to be brought on trial to face tax fraud mm. so and look the best way I've always found to help to, uh, orphans Tom uh, and the underprivileged in general is certainly to stash your wealth in an offshore tax haven to avoid having to pay any income tax uh, and then sort of talk loudly about how oh isn't it a shame <laughs> that we don't have money to help the poor and underprivileged well the government don't because you know mm. you're not paying any tax on that that's but true, yes. look so I don't know what's happened with that trial but let's hope she doesn't go to prison I would hate to see her go to prison for tax avoidance uh, Wesley Snipes style so yeah I mean it's a tough one because she's not white mm. but she's not black yep she's rich 
but she's female. You know, it could go either way. Like, could go either way, exactly. If she was a disgusting, corpulent, 80-year-old white man who'd never done a day's work in her life, obviously, I would assume she would be fine. Yep. But, yeah, if you're a woman, ooh, be touch and go. Yeah, wait and see. I'm not really sure what's going to happen there, but, look, you know, <laughs> just... Ooh. She must have a fuck ton of money, though. Oh yeah, I I'd mean, say Jesus. so. If Eighty she, million albums, like yeah. yeah well, I weird. think yeah. If she, I think, well, as the uh, the allegations show that yeah, I think if if you're transferring thirty million dollars offshore to avoid paying tax on it, yes. then obviously you've got thirty million dollars <laughs> to begin with. So. That's right, and presumably some other millions that you did pay nominal yeah, exactly. tax on or something. Exactly right. So look, um, so a little bit of a hiccup there, and also um, in two thousand eighteen she sold some swastika merch, so mm. which was didn't mm. really go down too well. But look, <laughs> her touring company had to apologise when people pointed out that her necklace featured um, the black sun or sun wheel design, which is very heavy on the swastika um, so I guess either she didn't realise that the swastika <laughs> was bad or she was trying to attract that neo-Nazi audience I don't mm. really know which one it was but anyway they had to back down <laughs> on selling that is it a good yes. idea to put a swastika on your merch yeah probably not no. even if you're in Ace of Base no uh, <laughs> I mean, I get what you're saying. It is hard to feel a lot of sympathy for anyone who appears in any kind of whistleblower documents about financial crimes. Yep. I suppose at least she wasn't on Epstein's island. That's true. You know, but yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. Especially when you find out what happens to the whistleblowers in 99% of cases. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Anyway, so... I'm sure she gives some money to charity. Oh, look, um, I think tax avoidance aside and, you know, potential neo-Nazi ties, she, this is a great song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, it's catchy. It's catchy. Best, best one of the year so far, I'd say. Yeah, exactly right. Any lyrical highlights apart from the breast being humble? Or uh, no, I think everyone thinks that's the highlight. Exactly. So, look, um, 47 cents on Discogs, 32 million Listeners yeah. on the Spotify. I actually would month. have thought it might be a bit higher than that. I mean, that's nearly double pink. Yep. But like, yeah, she's. I mean, you have to remember with people like her, she's got an entire separate continent where she's. Yeah, exactly. Massively famous as well, for sure. As well as the West, you know. Yeah. She's got the South American audience. She's got the uh, native. Spanish speakers in other countries I'm sure outside of be South big America, in Europe as well. Exactly. Yeah. So, and then she's got the English language. She's got everyone. She's got all the bases yeah. covered, apart from North Korea. But that doesn't matter. I don't think they probably they probably don't even know yeah. she exists there. But I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, anyway, right, what's up next? Casey Chambers not pretty enough for four mm. weeks mm. now. I don't think there are many people in Australia that would be unfamiliar with this song. So I guess it has some staying power. Is that yeah, fair enough? We, unlike America, we don't really get a lot of country crossover artists in no. Australia. Just ask Keith Urban or ask <laughs> anyone else to name a single song he ever wrote. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yes, this was a rare example. There was another one around this same time to... Um, on Triple J. I can't remember what they're called, so I'll shut up. But yeah. yes... Yeah, I mean, this was the this was the time to do it. This, you know, there was a lot of American stuff on the radio in this similar vein. Shania Twain, you know, your, you know, your Taylor Swift's coming out of the woodwork and so forth. But um, yeah, look, this is very popular at the time. Um, it was. So indeed. she obviously did 
did pretty well out of this. Um, this is her only number one single, but she had five number one albums in Australia. Wow, okay. So back to back to back to back to back, I believe. So, um, so that's pretty good. So people obviously, despite the fact that she didn't have a lot of other single chart success, she certainly had a lot of popular albums. Yeah. Um, and look, off the back of that Enrique Iglesias and Pitbull thing, I'm introducing a new segment on the podcast on the podcast called Dicey Duets. Because <laughs> sure. um, that one was pretty sketchy. And every recording artist at some stage in their career decides to do a poorly thought out collaboration. And last year, 2021, Casey teamed up with Bliss and Esso <laughs> for a song called Good People. And you might think that sounds bad in concept, but in reality it's actually significantly <laughs> fucking worse. Now, if you don't know who Bliss and Esso are, they're like a what? Aussie hip hop like mm. off-brand hilltop hoods or something yes, I don't part know. of the Aussie hip-hop revolution that Triple J tried unsuccessfully to get going for a good decade and a half yep. I think, I think that resulted been... in maybe 1.5 decent acts and yep. yeah. quite a lot of detritus yeah so th- they sucked and then Casey decided to jump on board with that so um, that's that's my dicey duet for the week <laughs> outside of Pitbull it's pretty dicey yeah Listen um, so had a couple of okay songs but really oh, I, I'd struggle to remember them yeah so Casey started out in a family band um, oh, with yeah. her mum dad and brother called the Dead Ringer <gasps> Band now I imagine that when you're in a group and you decide to go solo, it can be rough at the best of times, yeah? So you're Justin Timberlake or you're Beyonce and you've got that conversation where you're saying, oh, look, you know, hey, cunts, you're holding me back, I'm going solo. Mm-hmm. So Casey had to do that, but to her own family members. Mm-hmm. So mum, dad, bro, you guys are bullshit, you're holding me back, I'm out of here. So probably some tension was caused <laughs> I guess through that sort of calling yes. her parents cunts to begin with and saying I'm out of here because you guys are holding me back in dog shit but I think the best way to deal with that if you're Casey is to get out ahead of your former bandmates you know they're going to talk poorly about you so mm. you want to get out there first you know just start trash talking them before they <laughs> them before they get a chance to do it to you mum has a heroin problem dad couldn't play for shit it was all me in the studio something along those lines my brother's a sex offender something like that and that way you come out on top so then when they try and say something Mm. about you it just sounds like they're jealous and retaliating so I think that's what Casey should do it worked for Eminem and his family weren't even musicians no exactly right just came out firing both barrels from the gate you know (laughs) screw you alimony fuck you closest blood relatives suck a dick woman who sucked my dick you know like you say you know you got to get your attack. You got to get your what do they say? You got to get your um, revenge in first. <laughs> yeah. Oh, exactly right. Yeah. Attack is the is the best form of defence. I find so. Casey, if she didn't do that, she should have. I don't know what the hell she was doing there. But look, this song itself is about being ignored by commercial radio. Tom, I think you know, mm. we, everyone can relate to that. Um, I wrote it as a song about feeling invisible. It was obvious that out in the music industry, there was only one path for most young women, over-sexualized and over-made up. To succeed, you needed to look like Britney or Shakira. So she wrote this song, I guess, saying, you know, I'm not like those guys. So I guess it was sort of some yeah. commentary about the image um, that exists in pop music and particularly for females you know they feel like they probably need to look a certain way in order to succeed um so look and obviously as we've learned from just one song ago certainly helped Shakira out because uh sure. the lyrics weren't great but um <laughs> obviously I'm sure she sold a few discs off the back of those small and humble breasts I'm not sure <laughs> but look I think it's a fair point 
that Casey makes. Sex sells. Perhaps Casey could have taken a leaf out of Shakira's book to attract fans. A shirt with Casey Chambers written on it with maybe a massive swastika. <laughs> Perhaps the K in Casey and C in Chambers could have been reworked to look like an SS logo, mm-hmm. something along those lines. Then maybe she could have filtered all the profits into the Virgin Islands, taken some belly dancing courses and incorporated them into her music videos, though. That's food for thought. True, so, true. Uh, yes, I mean, there is a certain contradiction here because... Possibly not due to her, possibly due to record company stuff, yep. but on the cover of the album this came from, uh, Barricades and Brick Walls, uh, Casey is heavily styled to look like Shania Twain, okay. who was also definitely massive at this point and definitely a sex symbol at this time, although more in the Casey Chambers bracket than the Britney midriff Pepsi commercial area. But yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure if you've seen it, but it's a sort of black and white photo of her leaning on the steering wheel of a car wearing what appears to be a jacket, a sort of leopard print jacket kind of thing. It, it's very Shania Twain, but yep. <laughs> that might have been the stylist and the record company doing Fair that. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, uh, lyrics. Lyrically, uh, written all by her, so yep. good work on yep. that score. Uh, Am I not pretty enough? Is my heart too broken? Do I cry too much? Am I too outspoken? Don't I make you laugh? Should I try it harder? Why do you see right through me? Now, there's two ways to take this. Uh, either this is a straightforward complaint about not being good enough for radio for some hot guy, etc. Yeah. Or it's cleverer than that, and she's actually attacking her own self-pity and self-loathing by showing how it's tempting for a desperate person to use against other people for emotional blackmail, even if they both know it's happening, like when you're breaking up with someone, for instance. Mm. What what do you reckon? Do you reckon it's do you reckon it works at that level, or is it just about they won't play me on the radio because I'm wearing too many clothes? Oh, it's definitely the first one, Tom, that they just won't play on the radio because she doesn't <laughs> sure. look like she. Well, she did so. say that several times. So yeah, yeah. it's it's definitely that. Um, so look, it, the answer's simple. Belly dancing. It is that <laughs> fucking simple, Tom. So well, hips don't lie, Ben. Hips do not neither lie. Neither do bellies, I exactly. suppose. Exactly. So I think if Casey, instead of fucking complaining about not being pretty enough, <laughs> just get the belly out, do a bit of a wiggle on the belly dancing action, True. would it, you know... Go to your local huge. library. There'll be a notice board out the front. Somewhere up there yep. is a... Uh, notice board message written in pink biro yep. that says belly dancing classes call Sharon on this number yep. and there'll be a row of tags only one of them will have been ripped off so rip off one yep. of the other ones take that class and, yep. off, and look, off you go if Sharon's charging 50 for the belly dancing <laughs> lessons and you think that's too much just rip off one of the ones on the notice next to it which will be models wanted um, $200 um, just rip that one off and trust me Tr- you go. are pretty enough for yeah. them yeah. <laughs> go go do the modelling um, for 200 and then you get four. that's four belly dancing lessons and from there you're going just you know from strength to strength oh, so, by the way if you do go to Sharon's uh, make sure you're not allergic to cats because she's got seven of them she does absolutely so, yeah but it's all part of the experience. So, look, yeah. that's what I'd, I'd advise for Casey. So, look, um, 250,000 listeners on Spotify. It's at the lower end of things. But she is probably someone that um, probably hasn't had an international reach. Oh, I'd no, say, just no. for Australia. But, look, that's pretty good, 250. Um, $2 for this. So, this is going to set you back uh, a, a gold coin, um, <laughs> which is more than the ones we've yeah, had thus far. this probably was printed at a tiny percentage of the other ones. Exactly right, exactly. So that's Casey, not pretty enough. Um, 
Up next for four weeks, um, DJ Utsi. <laughs> hey baby, is is it DJ Otzi or DJ Utsi? I couldn't possibly hey care baby less bracket special uh, industrial tools. Yeah. Now this is fucking trash. Um, oh my God. It's. Eurodance and I and you know my love for Eurodance. Don't you tar I, I Eurodance with this brush, motherfucker. I use that term loosely. It's a cover of an, of the nineteen sixty two song. Hey, ba- hey, baby, ooh, I wanna know. It's that. I'd never heard this song before. This real low budget, um, one forty BPMs put underneath. Now, mm. DJ Utsi's out of Austria, which should surprise no one. Um, that this trash comes out of Europe. Yeah, they love that no. sort of shit. So look, it's um this guy's fucking garbage. Uh, he never hit number one again in Australia. This was his only number one hit here. But he did have another number one hit in Germany with a Euro dance version of a kids' playground chant. Tom, Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut, <sighs> Kentucky Fried Chicken, and a Pizza Hut. Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken and a Pizza Hut, McDonald's, McDonald's, Kentucky Fried Chicken and a Pizza KFC, Hut. KFC, more like JFC. What's next? Milk, milk, lemonade? That would actually be better. <laughs> hey, DJ Otzi, fuck you, you fucking hack. And fuck you for making this played at every shit nightclub by idiots for a decade. Yep. Christ, I hate this fucking song. This- oh my God, this is terrible. It's so fucking bad. Look, this is it is awful. Um, but I, if someone came to me and said, you know that shit, you know that thing that we used to do when we were six in the playground, Pizza Hut, Pizza Hut, Kentucky Fried Chicken mm. and a Pizza Hut. I'm gonna put, I'm gonna put some like 140 to 160 BPMs underneath that, and just release that as a single. What I, I don't, I can't imagine. Even his friends, even his closest friends, would have said. I don't know, DJ Utsi, that sounds like trash to me, bro. I, I don't think really think you want to do that. all get beaten up by the five-year-olds in the playground. It sounds like a cry for help for me. You'd, mm. you'd call, you know, Child loved ones. Services, I think so. Obviously, uh, yes, then a, some sort of, you know, the people who take you away and lock yep. you up. So that went to number one in Germany. Very, very discerning <laughs> listeners, the Germans, Christ should I add. Almighty. So imagine <laughs> enough people buying that to, I should mm, also point out don't forget that uh, Stink by the Dickheads was number yep. one in Germany so you know but coincidentally Tom today's podcast is brought to you by Pizza Hut uh, Kentucky <laughs> Fried Chicken and McDonald's so, I wish um, they yep. might send me some fucking <laughs> zingers over here absolutely so look so DJ Utsi then follow that up um, with I Am The Music Man oh my god <laughs> doing um, this on purpose at this point under the pseudonym DJ Utsi Jr which reached number one in Japan. Oh, well think, done, DJ. You'll see you've really hidden yourself. Do you think the Japanese were able to figure out that from the name? Were they able to crack that code that it was God just DJ Utsi as well? Now, this guy makes Entrance look like sort of... Oh, my God. ...a classical composer, like Beethoven. You would think it was possible, but... Yeah, this is 100% saloon core, <laughs> along with Jason Nevins, the Entrance remix of Do You Think I'm Sexy, and whichever cunt covered Kung Fu Fighting in 1998 yep. they all need to get kung fu kicked off a fucking tower block as far as I'm concerned oh straight into a volcano time. oh yep. my god should I explain what the saloon is again imagine a nightclub called the saloon where they would play this turd three times a night five days a week and that's, that's what I'm talking about yeah look this is one of the worst songs I think in the podcast so far yes um, some of the songs we've deliberately covered as amazingly shit during the year end wrap up are considerably better than, better than this, than yeah. this. 
I'd, I'd listen to that Idlewise song, I think. It had oh, yes. Song, so. At least that had cans in it. Yeah, exactly. So, look, um, DJ Utsi, um, this guy sucks. I hope he's still not performing. He probably is. He's probably <laughs> doing birthday parties and oh, wine sure. shit, you know. He in, probably gets $5,000 a night in Austria. For- yeah, he probably does. So, this is no good. Um, is it, do you reckon, yeah, this is worse than sort of Nick Skitt's doing Run to Paradise, isn't it? Yeah, and also Run to Paradise is a better song. Yeah, that's yeah. true. And also Nick Skitz is a better DJ as yep. well. Um, oh, two cents for this, and DJ Utsi still has two million monthly listeners on Spotify. Mm, um, is there any any lyrics of this? How you many? need to two, two million, two million. Oh, yeah, because fuck. of that Pizza Hut song. Oh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> God, he's got a lot of. There's a lot of shit on that oh, list when God. you look at it. It's fucked. So yeah. Um, lyrical spotlight well this is the original of course because mm. he didn't contribute any lyrics just in case you forgot this was written the same year that Marilyn Monroe sung happy birthday to President Kennedy uh, <laughs> when I saw you walking down the street I said that's the kind of girl I'd like to meet she's so pretty looks just fine I'm gonna make her mine all mine hey baby would you be my girl? Yep. And then I think some cunt goes ooh at ah at some point. I couldn't tell you for sure because by that stage I'd already injected the morphine. <laughs> Give me some reggae! Give me some <laughs> reggae! What's that? It's Axel. Oh yeah, no. Some exactly. sort of alarm is going off. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Look, um, yeah, I don't need to talk anymore about DJ Utsi. Don't listen to that on Spotify. Um, I'll put it in the playlist, but in the YouTube one, but stop... Do, do you do you have to listen to like 30 seconds of a YouTube video to, for it to count as a play <laughs> or something? If so, just turn it off after like five seconds or something yes, like that. So that do. would be ideal. So look. Anyway, so up next, um, for one week, Scott Kane, I'm moving <laughs> on. Hello. Introducing. Oh, I hate YouTube. <laughs> Fuck you. Yes, anyway, the give me some reggae alarm. Axel's going sick with the Give Me Some Reggae, which is rather confusingly the alarm that goes off when we have contenders from the increasingly disturbingly popular at this stage reality TV music industry, which is really taking off at this point, unfortunately. Scott Kane, I'm moving on. Scott Kane, Pop Stars Season 3, Tom is uh, with us. This time they were after... (laughs) <laughs> Who the fuck can remember? I don't know. A, a solo artist, I guess. First sure. year was Bardo with the girl group. Next was Scandalous with the boy mm, and girl combo group. And this year must be solo I artists. I can't understand I after Scandalous what would have made them want to change the formula. <laughs> I don't, having don't know. seven Kmart checkout clerks awkwardly try to dance. I think they changed the format, Tom, because they'd run out of pleather. The industry mm. they dried up and they went, we need an act that isn't going to wear pleather. So they went with Scott Kane. Now, I'm not exactly what this, I'm not exactly sure what this means, Tom, but, but what it does mean is that season three was the final series of pop stars. So they looked at Scott Kane, they got him and they said, we've achieved perfection. There's nowhere else we can go with the series. It can only go downhill from here. So it's time to wrap it up while we're on top. Scott comes out, <laughs> releases this song I'm moving on, and then Pop Stars ceases to exist. On but a high. Next, but next, <laughs> on a very high. But then unfortunately, I think the next year we get like Australian Idol or X Factor or some yes. bullshit. So um, the train keeps on moving, but under a different name. I so. was going to put it under music news, and then I realised it doesn't qualify under either word in that sentence. But um, no. American Idol debuted 
2002. So I think oh, Australian okay. Idol followed up with the usual Australian television yep. programmer's sense of originality the year after that. Exactly, yeah. So look, the debut single on Moving On hit number one on the charts, demonstrating yet again that the Australian public were able to pick <laughs> the very finest in up-and-coming talent, yes. which they did. Three seasons of pop stars, the debut C- single from each of the three artists... Bardo, Scandalous and Scott Kane straight to number one. So the Australian public knew a good artist when they saw one. So unlike the forward-thinking Scandalous, which used all the bells and whistles of 2002 audio production technology, I assume that it was probably done in Pro Tools, perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, some someone from, if it wasn't Linda Perry, someone else from Four Non Blondes might have came in and sort of said, hey, yep. I'll show you the Pro Tools. Let's get that happening for Scandalous's Me, Myself and I. Uh, this sounds like it should have come out in 1972. Like it sounds real yes. shit. Uh, and yeah. I actually, I think compared to the previous two Pop Stars winners, yep. this is definitely more of a actual song. Oh, yeah. Uh, as opposed to a very, very low budget, low production value Britney Spears knockoff. Or five knockoff or whatever. Yep. Uh, which is probably because this was written by Greg Alexander of One Hit Wonders, The New Radicals. Oh, His big song is You Get What You Give, yep. a phrase that pretty much summarises his songwriting efforts in relation to this end product. <laughs> but on the other hand, this song is about 50 times better than Scandalous, mostly because it was clearly written by a musician who is familiar with how backing instruments and production can be used to flatter a performer instead of Dicko, Kyle Sanderlands and a room full of middle managers from Nova FM. Yes. Uh, if you don't mind a slight digression, oh, uh, yeah. Greg was born in Gross Point, Michigan, United States, raised in a conservative Jehovah's Witness household, won high school battle bands at 14. By 16, he'd signed his first recording contract with A&M after playing demo tapes. He released his debut album, Michigan Rain, in 89, at the age of 19, to little notice. In 1992, he signed to Epic and released an album called Intoxifornication, which consisted largely of re-released songs from his last album and was again ignored. Uh, By the mid-90s, he was busking in Central Park. In 97, he formed the New Radicals, who were a revolving door band with no permanent members other than him and long-term collaborator Daniel Brisbois. And they released the album Maybe You've Been Brainwashed 2 in 98, which went on to sell more than 1 million copies, Mm. largely off the single You Get What You Give, which was released that autumn and massive hit, got up to number 13 on the Aries. Mm -hmm. Uh, Not long after the new radical success, Alexander became tired of the constant media attention and exhausting touring schedule. Uh, In July 1999, Someday We'll Know was announced as the band's second single. Several days later, he announced that he was disbanding the new radicals to focus on production work. He said that the fatigue of travelling and getting three hours sleep in a different hotel every night to do boring hanging and schmoozing with radio and retail people is definitely not for me. Uh, Despite disagreements with MCA, he finally agreed to shoot a video for Someday We'll Know, but the band then defunct, the song got no attention, and the new radicals went down in history as a one-hit wonder. Now, what is the lesson here, Ben? Mm. Is it A, be careful what you wish for? Yep. Um, (laughs) Is it B, uh, if you're a Generation X person and you will, are always going to value um, authenticity over success, a la Linda Perry, yep. then maybe don't go into fucking writing pop music. True. Uh, is it C, some white people are so entitled that they think being a rock star is beneath them? Yeah. Or is it D, 
you can get three record deals off of one hit, sell a million records by 27, and it still won't make you happy if you're a little bitch. Yeah. Uh, or is it E, uh, don't spell Greg with two Gs? Can it be all of the above, Tom? It can be all of the above, <laughs> <laughs> like. Uh, also notice that he got th- he got signed three times. Yeah. Like, I'm sure he was busking for a little bit in between. Also notice that the gap between the one hit wonder and the him calling it quits was one year. So this grueling touring schedule that he's complaining about was approximately one year. Yeah. Also, I'm not sure how much massive international success, you know, how much Pink Floyd, the wall style, mind destroying fame he was getting off the back of one (laughs) song that they had on the charts for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. That's bullshit, yeah, because you're right. If you release some solo material and nobody really is paying attention to it, that can be problematic in the sense that you're not going to... You need to make some money to continue on, yes, obviously. You of can't course. You can't just release album after album that no one gives a fuck about and play in front of no people. So once you finally get a bit of success, you must be like, okay, I feel a bit relieved now. I don't have that stress because we are playing concerts in front of people. There is some money coming in, etc., etc. Yeah. And then that was too much for him. So yes. you can't have nothing and yeah. you can't have even I'm going to call this minor success because yeah. he's not fucking in U2 <laughs> he's not you know doing stadium tours no, across the world I suppose the more the more uh, less hilarious question would be let's say that they had continued and they had been successful like they yeah. had kept touring like whatever he was afraid of in his imagination happening I is there a is there a more is it actually smarter to do what he did and early on go, this isn't for me, I'd rather just earn a bit of money doing production and writing songs for other people and staying out of the limelight than this thing that I thought I wanted for all these years and then I got it and it sucked immediately? Or would it have been smarter for him to keep going, you know, and ride that train and make millions of dollars for as long as he could keep going, you know, like while hating it? But, you know, thinking, well, maybe I'll get to like it later on or something. <laughs> I think what he needs to do, Tom, is he probably had to give it a little bit more than just the one year, yes, I think. Yes, maybe so two hits. Two, <laughs> maybe release another album. And maybe after three years, if you decide going, this isn't for me, then you call yeah. it quits. It's like a marriage. Um, if you get married and the first year's terrible... You just got to stick with it for 5, 10, 15, 20, 25 years and hope that it comes good, I think. That's sort of, you yeah. know, and that's sort of the same thing with this. You I don't mean, just call, you don't just call no. it quits immediately. You know, if you go to a restaurant and the food's terrible, you go back two, three, four, five times so, hoping that it might be good one. I feel like it's such a selfish kind of rich white person perspective to go... You know, like, just don't... At any point, didn't he just think of this gigantic massed crowd of desperate artists behind him trying to get up this tiny little ladder to where he was standing and think, well, maybe I owe it to those guys to to try this a bit harder. Yeah, exactly. I got given this incredible gift. Maybe I should stick at it for more than, I don't know, 12 months (laughs) before I say that. Yeah, it's it's weak (laughs) shit, I think. You just needed to do a little bit more. And what about the fans, Tom? What about those new (laughs) radical fans? 
Not a day goes by when I don't run into someone on the train with a new Radicals t-shirt. You know, you make eye contact and a, a knowing nod. And it's like, if only they'd release more material. If only they'd stuck at it more than 12 months. Mm, mm. Instead, he had to waste his talents on songs for Scott Kane. So <laughs> he obviously had a bit of a weird attitude because in that song, remember, he gives shit to Beck. He threatens to fight Beck, Marilyn Manson and Courtney Love. He does. And accuses them all of being sellouts, which is a bold move for your debut single. Look, I, I like it. <laughs> like, I, like I can't it. tell if that's ballsy or idiotic again yep. like this. Anyway, he... What's he doing now? Do you well, know? <laughs> because... Well, he's doing this kind of thing. He does production and... Um, but this was 2002. What's he well, doing right um, now? <laughs> I don't know what he's doing right this second, but he... I mean, well, going along with this, like, for instance, what we were saying, he has a similar voice to... To Scott Keynes. Yep. Like he's got that, he's got a he can do a sort of falsetto thing as well, which may be why this works pretty yep. well. And I mean, even this this tail end of a crappy reality show, third year, dwindling success thing, still sold 80,000 copies in yep. Australia, which isn't bad for the former winner of the Hastings Family Battle of the Bands. <laughs> exactly right. But I mean, <laughs> if this had been released as a second single on a big American production album, like this could have been another big hit. Like it's, like, it's not a bad song. It exactly. really isn't a bad song. Why, why didn't the new Radicals release this? Yeah, I guess, I guess this is they just They could have been playing at Rod Laver Arena this <laughs> year. So instead sure. they're not going to be. So look, yeah, anyway. anyway, yeah, you're right. I don't know. Anyway, look, I think, but that's, I don't think that's uncommon though, is it? People that become famous and go, oh shit, this isn't what I wanted at all. But most of the time, you just stick with it because it's yeah. better than going to work at cash converters or something like yeah, that. Yeah, or they, th- they get a deal, so they drag it out for two more albums that yeah. don't sell, but you still get paid for the albums and people remember you yeah. a bit more. You have one and a half hits instead of one hit. Exactly. But exactly. yeah, I, like I say, there is a weird kind of honesty to just going, nah, this isn't for me, fuck it, I'm out. Yeah, but it was also kind of annoying at the same time. Oh, for sure, yeah. Irritating. Anyway. anyway, oh look. So in the we'll get back to Scott Kane. I'm in the music <laughs> video for this Scott's tape. Uh, he's trying to win the heart of mm. a young lady um, through a series of kick flips. So the chick he's trying to bang <laughs> at the start of the video um, is different to the one he ends up banging at yes. the end of the video, uh, which taught me the valuable lesson that not every chick likes kickflips, but if you do enough kickflips, you'll finally find a girl who does love kickflips and will love you because you can do a kickflip. That is a valuable lesson. So just get out on the street, just <laughs> kickflip your fucking heart away, and then before you know it, a girl will stroll past and go, oh shit, I love that guy yeah. doing a, a kickflip, and he can sing. Yes. Exactly. If, and if you can sing, yeah. He does have a terrible haircut, but, you know, yeah. you might be able to look past that. Um, he was a former competitive skater. Was he? As a young guy. So I'm assuming that that's actually him doing the flips. Oh, that's good. If they paid Rodney Mullen to do close-up footwork, that would be a real waste of Rodney Mullen. But I think it's actually <laughs> him doing it. So that gives it a tiny bit of authenticity missing from Scandalous as well, I'd say. Absolutely yeah. right, indeed. So, look, the debut album was released on Warner Music. Um, sure. Scott Keynes. Yep. But I assume that after the success of I'm Moving On and the non-album single Oceans In Between, written about the events of 9-11, Tom, and from all reports, very powerful. From what I understand, a bidding war for Scott's services must have taken place. And look, we've seen Janet Jackson in recent weeks. She signed that $50 million 
dollar deal with Virgin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robbie Williams signed a very lucrative deal with EMI worth, I think, somewhere in the realm of 80 million pounds. Yep. Two of the biggest labels in the music. And I think Scott was also courted for his services, major label bidding war. Um, and he was eventually, so- he eventually signed, sorry, after this bidding war with one of the heavyweights of the music industry, ABC Kids, Tom. <laughs> so his next album was released on a fucking child's music label that does stuff like the Wiggles and uh, mm, I don't know mm, fucking ba- mm. be Bananas in Pajamas song so look very big Scott Kane he's got that there the first single off the ABC Kids album was titled uh, Hillary Duff if you remember that uh, song Tom. yes I do remember that uh, the timeless classic I've got a crush on Hillary Duff um, Kids on the Block saying she's got the right stuff oh, can't get enough of that wonderful Duff oh Simpsons reference yeah I watch her all the time on the TV and stuff. So great lyrics, um, great rhyming scheme with Duff and stuff. But is it appropriate for a 23-year-old man to be singing a song about how he has a crush on a 16-year-old girl? Mm, Not really. Now, in the wrong hands, Tom, it could have been very inappropriate. But luckily, (laughs) Scott handles this, you know, with sort of a style and stylish performance, enough class, enough style, and the performance is nuanced enough for you to forget that he's effectively singing about banging a child. Mm. So Scott Mm. handles this very, very well. Um, He dials back the pedophile vibe on the other tracks from the album. Um, It covers a wide range of topics, including roller coasters on the track, What Roller Coaster, Mm -hmm. dancing on the song Made to Dance, and popcorn on the track, Popcorn People, demonstrating (laughs) that despite the label that this was released on, this isn't a children's album at all. It broaches topics in all, and you know, the material appeals to people of all ages, not just Mm. kids, Tom. So, Mm. look, and Duff herself, Hilary Duff, was so impressed with the track that she invited Scott to uh, tour with her when she came to Australia, which was certainly a boon for Scott Kane, but seems like a poor decision on the part of Hilary. I mean, (laughs) is it wise to invite a potential sexual predator on tour with you? It's kind of like seeking out a baby from the sex offenders register or going on tour with the Rolling Stones exactly nevertheless nothing inappropriate was reported um, so it can be assumed that nothing unacceptable uh, happened from Scott um, and nor did anything untoward happen at all because the ABC kids label you know we didn't hear any news nothing happened as far as I know um Look, I don't think any non-disclosure agreements were signed between Scott Kane and Hilary <laughs> Duff. For legal reasons, I should point out that this is all speculation and I'm in no way accusing Scott Kane of being a sexual predator. In fact, I'm clearly a very huge fan. Um, I just don't think that, you know, <laughs> it should go unnoticed <laughs> sure. that uh, he sung a song about having a crush <laughs> on a child. So I mean... Hilary Duff, it's still kind of impressive that uh, she was into that song enough to invite him to open up for her on tour because yep. she would have been four or five years older than most of his audience at that age. So, <laughs> exactly. you know, I'd be flattered that, you know, someone as mature as Hilary Duff at 16 was into his stuff. Absolutely right, for sure. So it was good for Scott to get to do that tour and mm. opened up a lot of new doors. So look, if you've not heard Roller Coaster, um, the album, <laughs> uh, it's because it did not receive the attention it deserved in Australia, but I put this down to Tall Poppy Syndrome. The album was, once again, Tom, a major hit in Japan. So there you go. I'm starting to wonder if those Japanese have come down with the UK music virus, (laughs) or possibly whether songs in English just sound 20% better than they do over here. Yeah. Yeah. Look, um, this entire song, lyrically, uh, is easily summarised in the three-word title. Um, The three-word title being I'm Moving On. 
Uh, even Scott Kane said he thought the lyrics were a bit basic when he first heard them, but has since learned to appreciate it, probably in the exact opposite way to I've got a crush on Hilary Duff. <laughs> Uh, I bet you thought you'd end up leaving me, but that was just a fantasy. But baby, the tail has wagged the dog. Yeah, bit of an accidental self-own there, describing yourself as the tail. But anyway, I'm moving on. I'm feeling strong. I'm good as gone. Out of your heart, babe. I'm moving on. Here's my new song. Baby, look at me. I'm free. Ooh, I'm letting you go. I'm letting you go. No, that is the end of our show. Yeah, we get it. You broke up. Nah, I got another three verses still to go, mate. <laughs> So, yeah, if you like hearing someone talk about how he's definitely moving on, then this is the song for you. Oh, fantastic. Look, it is good to know that there is a song that tackles this, <laughs> this topic. Tom, I know. So. It took a long time, but we got there we in did. the end. Exactly right. So that's it shows his versatility as well, doesn't it? That song about breakups, <laughs> song about Hilary Duff, the roller coaster, the popcorn one. Exactly. All kinds of stuff. All kinds of stuff for his adult contemporary audience because... Though the people that were children at the time, they're old now, so, it's, so and they can still enjoy mm, this material some yes. twenty years later because they've grown up with it, you know, and they've matured with it as well. So look, um, he's not on Spotify. Couldn't ah. find him on there. So no, mm, no Spotify. That's listens. only the second time that's happened. It was yep. then, and was it Euphoria? I think. <laughs> yeah, I think did so. Not register on Spotify. So you're going to have to um, fork out the one dollar. Ooh, um, most expensive this year so far. Yep. I'm sure that's entirely about its quality. Yep, exactly right, if you want to listen to this. So there you go. Cool. So speaking of uh, lasting, what have we got next? Well, Tom, um, it's another one from Shakira. Oh, she's back. Underneath your clothes. She, she didn't hang around. She didn't stay away long. No, absolutely right. We get another hit from Shakira this year. That's two number ones in a calendar year. Fantastic. Now, unfortunately, this is a, a kind of whack ballad this yeah. one is so some have called this a power ballad but there's no power here no it's it's not a, you, to have a power ballads require two things they need to be a ballad and they need to have some power in there yes once you take away the power you've just got a ballad and dare i say tom parts of this song sound very 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 <laughs> fucking similar to the Bangles' Eternal Flame. Yes, and this is no Eternal Flame, or is it Penny Lane, for that matter, which it also sounds suspiciously like at the end. Uh, it was produced by Lester Mendes, who did a lot of her songs, plus stuff for Jewel, Adam Lambert, Santana, Mia, and Enrique Iglesias. Uh, why he decided to chuck in several highly recognisable elements from other artists, I don't know. Yep. Perhaps he'd been listening to Kid Rock that week and thought, why the fuck am I even bothering anymore? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, look. And what's this song about? Underneath your clothes. Is she singing about a dude's dick? Is that what's going on? Underneath your clothes, there's an endless story. <laughs> like an endless dick story? I don't mm. know. What... Is that what we're getting at? <laughs> underneath your... Could be a Nazi tattoo. Could be... That's what could be underneath the clothes. Yeah. I don't really know, but I, I assume it's just about some dude's dick. What I, else could it be I about? Mean, it's a bit Underneath like, your clothes is an endless story. It's a bit like your body is a wonderland. Yeah. I mean, whether he's talking about Jessica Simpson or not, I'm pretty sure the overall terrain only extends for about the length of a normal human body. Unless Shakira is planning to get shrunk down into a tiny spaceship and injected into the dude's urethra in a space style. <laughs> True. I mean, if she did, it would be more entertaining than this song and video as well. 
But yeah, yeah, I mean, what did you think of the video, for instance? Oh, look, watching the video, you can understand what Casey Chambers was talking about. There's a lot of skimpy outfits, um, flicking of the hair in slow motion. Yes. But I guess at the end of the day, is this really Shakira's fault? You have to use your strengths in the music industry. Sure. Obviously, you know, she sounds like a fucking goat. We all know that. So <laughs> you have to look, play to your strengths. So... Look, she she is obviously an attractive person, so the record label Excellent. would have said, "We got to play up to that." So a few skimpy outfits, a flute, a couple of slow mo hair flicks. If that's going to sell records, then it works. But look, you know, yeah. um, you got to play the hand you deal. You can't blame someone do. hot for using their hotness, especially in the pop charts. You do, but exactly I mean, right. yeah, like you say, she's only been away for a month, and already she seems to have gotten racier in the <laughs> intervening period. Exactly <laughs> right. Exactly. So look. Um, yeah. Speaking of, sorry, this was directed by fashion photographer Herb Ritz right before he died. Yeah. So it's visually flattering at a basic level. Like she looks great, as you say. But like the song itself, it's been overproduced to the extent that any interesting edges or accidents or like lo-fi elements are completely gone. It's also pretending toward a sort of behind-the-scenes on tour oh, and at-home good. vibe, yep. which directly contrasts the over-polished TV commercial style. They should have just glammed it up like Enrique. You know, that didn't work very well either, but at least you get to pretend to be in a movie and take a photo with Mickey Rourke, yep. you know. I, yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a lost cause, this one. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, what are the lyrical highlights apart from underneath your clothes is an endless story? Um, well, again, it's got that kind of ESL magic. Um, I love you more than all that's on the planet. It's a big call. Moving, yeah. talking, walking, breathing. You know it's true. Oh, baby, it's so funny. You almost don't believe it. As every voice is hanging from the silence, lamps are hanging from the ceiling like a lady tied to her manners. I'm tied up to this feeling. Like, again, that probably is clever in Spanish. Yeah. In, like, but, it, yeah, it just doesn't really mean anything in English. No. Underneath your clothes, there's an endless story. There's the man I chose. There's my territory and all the things I deserve for being such a good girl, honey. Now, I can't tell who's the worst end of the stick here. Shakira, the male body, feminism, the English language, or possibly the concept of clothing itself. <sighs> yeah, I don't know. It's hard to <laughs> That's really difficult to say. But look, it was a hit. People didn't seem to give a hey, fine fuck look, about the lyrics. You know, so I, loved it. I think the combination of a picture of Shakira and the words underneath your clothes probably sold three million yeah, albums so. alone. No doubt, no doubt. So look, 32 cents for this on Discogs, 32 million on Spotify. We already know that. Um, look, should we move on? Sure. Up Let's next is Eminem. Without me. Slight gear change. Yep, five <laughs> weeks for this at number one Crunch. now. Look, before uh, 8 Mile and the songs off that, uh, do you think this was Eminem's signature song? Well, I would say this after, what was his first one? The Real Slim Shady. Oh, yeah. Is it? Yeah. Yes. Um, But yeah, I mean, this was a huge hit. Now, this was number one in the UK, Ireland, New Zealand, and number two in America, just behind Hot in Her by Nelly. Oh, yeah. It was nominated for Record of the Year at the Grammy Awards of 2003, losing to Nora Jones' song, Don't Know Why. Ah, Nora Jones. 
Hasn't she remained stood the test of time? <laughs> yes. She certainly wasn't dinner party music for upper middle class people for one year in 2003. Yes, everybody still listens to Nora Jones. Anyway, uh, this was his first song to receive a Grammy nomination in a major category. It also received a nomination for Best Male Rap Solo Performance, but lost that award as well to the song Hot and Her by rapper Nelly. So Nelly should be lucky they didn't get several very vicious diss tracks no oh, one ever right. yep. but the video scooped the pool it won everything that year doesn't and it, surprise yeah, me yeah and MTV and stuff as well like, yeah look on the release of this song I feel like it was absolutely everywhere you could oh, hear fuck, it yeah. fucking yeah. all over the place even, even in places where you wouldn't even normally hear rap like in your nightclubs and stuff they would yeah. play the video in the nightclub and shit exactly you know? yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's impressive that you heard this pretty much everywhere for mm. a long period of time considering the content of the song because <laughs> he just sorts of just gives shit to heaps of people for the yes. whole song this is more like his earlier fun stuff that, yep. yeah yeah not that bullshit that he did with Dido he yeah just sort of starts shitting on Moby uh, <laughs> various other it's always good to hang shit on Moby I sure. think so um, good on Eminem for that but yeah so it seemed to be that yeah he did release a song that just despite the fact it had bad language hung shit on people just was a massive mainstream success yes and uh, but also he did that without um i guess shredding his credibility because sometimes no. you hit the mainstream and people oh, and people are just like oh he sold out but this was yes. just the same sort of stuff that he was sort of known for in the yeah. first place and it, it, there's a sort of weird honesty to it as well because i mean he got famous for singing about his shitty upbringing yep but like i also thought this was kind of cool when the streets did it as well like when he did start to get success, rather than continuing to pretend he still lived in the trailer park and seeing everything about being from the ghetto or whatever, yep. he started this like this song is about um, being famous. It's about getting your first fame yep. and the reaction to the reaction of other people to what he's. I mean, it's lots, lots of jokey stuff, like you say, but it's about getting to the point in your career when other celebrities start talking about you, when there's controversy surrounding you, you know, where where parents are reacting to their kids listening to your music and that sort yep. of thing, you know. Yeah, so, he talks yeah. about being the worst thing since Elvis Presley. Yeah. Along Yes, which it, even though it's jokey, like yeah. there is like he's he is talking about what happened to him in the last year and stuff. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. But you know, he also makes reference to the fact that uh, you know he's so controversial, but they want him to be controversial because they need that to sell yes. the, the NME or whatever yeah, music right. magazines you need at the <laughs> time. Right. So um, yeah, so look, very yeah, look, it's it's one of those songs that I think he gets to you know sing about everything that's shitty about <laughs> the music industry <laughs> yes. without alienating the music industry that's as well. Right. So he's done a pretty good job there. Look, um, the music video, as you mentioned, won a lot of awards. And this is the one where he dresses up as Robin. <laughs> as well as a lot of other as people. As a lot of other people. Uh, and has sort of a very comic book style presentation. Yeah. Very good music video. I remember the video was just fucking played everywhere as well. Not just yes, the song you heard. It 100%. was just all over the place. So, um, And it probably isn't a big deal now, maybe. <laughs> but I recall that it was controversial because he dresses up as Osama Bin Laden at the end and dances around in a cave. Yes. Which well, at the time was probably... Yeah, 9-11 was still fairly fresh in people's memories. It happened about six months ago, so yeah. Exactly. I, so. Uh, I forgot the part where there's three real-life Survivor contestants running on a log, which then <laughs> zooms out and turns out to be a giant shit in Elvis's toilet. Yes. Elvis played by Eminem himself. Yep. I mean, that's champagne comedy right there. <laughs> 
absolutely. As, uh, there's a little making of, if you're interested, there's a little making of like 10 minute special on YouTube from some MTV show. And as Eminem himself says, while in the makeup chair complaining about getting glued into an Elvis fat suit, this is white rap at its best. <laughs> you see the shit I do for you fucking people? <laughs> There's also the bit where he plays his own mum dressed up like a hooker on Jerry Springer sitting beside his real-life brother playing him who looks so much like him that I always thought it was the other way around. I thought it was some random guy pretending to be his mum and him oh, playing okay. a little version himself. And according to the brother... In that little making of video, he's a dead ringer for his mum. He says, "You, you people do not understand how much, how weird it is to have him yelling at me like that." Because he said he looks exactly like. Her. <laughs> yeah, it was uh, directed by Joseph Kahn, who is another journeyman who's done more videos than you can count, and he's still working today. He did Toxic for Britney, DMX, Gonna Give It To You, Elevation For You 2, Jumpin' Jumpin', Knights of Sidonia, several Wu-Tang videos, Purple Pills, and Hero for Enrique oh, Iglesias. fantastic. Which shows that he's got range of nothing else, because that looks like Michael Bay impersonating Tarantino, <laughs> but this looks like a sort of comic strip version yep. of a wacky comedy sketch highlight package, like you say. And those other videos, are Toxic for Britney is completely different as well. He must be... Uh, must be good at just adapting to whatever people want. Absolutely. Yeah. Lyrical highlights. Um, you mentioned a few earlier. I mean, this song is hella dense. It took three months to make, but it gets brushed off because it's funny, which is kind of a shame. Like, the rest of this whole album is all pretty grim and serious. Yep. You know, the cover is him sort of... Looking you know, pensive. Yeah, behind a, behind a curtain in the dark, you know, sort yep. of... I always felt like Eminem had an ambivalent relationship with his own sense of humour, as though he felt like it was a weakness in the rap world, you know, which is a shame, really, uh, because he was good at it, as this song demonstrates. Um, uh, what else? Two Trailer Park Girls Go Round the Outside is a reference to Buffalo Girls by Malcolm McLaren. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got any favourite lines? <laughs> From this, I always liked uh, feel attention as soon as someone mentions me. Here's my ten cents. My two cents is free. That's a pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look, uh, I like. I do like the start with the trailer park thing as a reference to Malcolm McLaren. I think that's always good. Um, more Malcolm McLaren references I'm, are better. But yeah, I'm look, not sure if the lines. Um, I like it when he when he does shit on Moby. So yeah, I'm not nobody sure if, listens to techno. <laughs> I'm not sure if the lines Moby you can get stopped by Obi, you 36 year old bald headed fag bloke would pass muster. <laughs> these it days, was 2002. I don't uh, think it would pass these yeah, days. And yeah, and there's as you mentioned, there's I'm not the first king of controversy. I am the worst thing since Elvis Presley to do black music so selfishly and use it to get myself wealthy hey there's a concept that works 20 million other white rappers emerge but so no matter how many fish in the sea it'd be so empty without me MT being from MTV obviously which yeah. Is, yeah no look it is yeah you're right he's sort of um, he's a good lyricist he is really good you know and personally I prefer this than when he tries to go into emotional bullshit like me too later me in too. the career he does all these like shitty duets with, like Ed Sheeran and all like ah, yeah but like there's uh, actual honest stuff in here it's just yep. that it's also funny and clever whereas yeah. you can be honest and talk about how things yeah. are difficult and by have injecting a sense of humour into it. Exactly, yeah. yeah. You can do that, which is a bit preferential. It's hard. Sort of woe is me sort of songs. Yes. Like, Very, it's much harder to do that than it seems, and he's one of the few people can do it. But yep. then he doesn't like it because he feels like if he does that, people don't take himself seriously, you know. But anyway, 
Yeah. All right, that's enough about Eminem for the minute. I'm sure he'll reappear. Two cents. You can buy it for 46 <laughs> million cents? Spotify dudes. 46 million. That's, Fuck, a, that's yeah. a record for this week. Maybe of the whole podcast so far. Up next, Tom, one of my favourites of all time, Holly Valance, <laughs> Kiss Kiss. Now, you may have to explain Yikes. to people who Holly Valance is. Well, Holly Valance is sort of a turn of the millennium Kylie Minogue in the sense <laughs> and stick stay with me here Tom in the sense that she was on Neighbours yes so she was she's a young act- actress on Neighbours which Kylie Minogue was Kylie Minogue then obviously went into music and became a big music star and yeah, dabbled in acting from time to time yep. but Kylie is predominantly known as a musician Holly Valance on Neighbours around the turn of the millennium sort of early 2000s and then she parlayed that success into a music career yes this is her debut single yeah. Um, I mean, it might seem to the outsiders that might seem like a bit of an obvious career path, a yep. bit, a bit, a bit, um, a bit hacky. But yep. I mean, really, she's only following in the footsteps of all the other Aussie soap stars that went on to have worldwide pop careers that yep. people still talk about today. Your Beck Cartwright, your Stephanie McIntosh, <laughs> your Bruce Samazan, your Tampton Sursock, your Melissa Tkouts, your Sam Clark, your the Blakeney Twins, your Craig McLaughlin, your Stephen Dennis, your Tony Piran, and of course your Russell Rock. <laughs> exactly. You know, right. Really, she she's she's in a long and storied tradition of people who've left neighbours and home and away. And gone on to, you know... Melissa was on East Street, I believe, as well, Tom. So we get another <laughs> another class in there. Hands off that detonator, Tom. But, um, look, yikes is what I will say about this. Now, Melbourne's own, <laughs> Melbourne's own, should I say, Tom, Holly Valance, demonstrates that if you give it all away straight off the bat, yeah. then you have literally nowhere else to go. And by giving it all away, I mean the music video for Kiss Kiss is Holly completely nude with some well-positioned lighting effects blocking the audience's view of her nipples and vagina. Mm. And the rest of the video clip is just sketchy looking dudes in tracksuits trying to feel her up. Yeah. The whole thing is just basically no. her dancing in the nude <laughs> with some lights over the nipples. That's Even what you get. Shakira wouldn't have gone for that at this point. She no. would have said, you've got to wait until at least video three before you've got yeah. that. Also, frankly, when you're watching it, all you end up doing is trying to figure out whether she had like torches duct taped to her boobs yeah. <laughs> or whether it's some sort of you know, Digital early effect. CGI effect or yeah, something. Yeah, exactly. I think it might have been some early CGI, <laughs> but the problem was she couldn't get any racier after this. She'd gone as far as she could no. go. So I think when people said, what's she going to do for the Not follow-up? Not in 2002 anyway. No, what, what will she do for the follow-up single? Obviously, well, you can't compete with that because... Um, yeah, How many years that. away do you think we are from a pop star debuting their first music video with just them fully naked... With no Full frontal nudity. Uh, I don't know. The, the problem is, what, what forum will they show that on? But, I mean, uh, I, guarantee, I guarantee it's been done without, with sort of tasteful cover-ups. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. In the um, rap videos, must have done that already. Oh, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, it's only a matter of time. Look, um, Sir Mix-a-Lot's put them on the glass. <laughs> Sir Mix-a-Lot doesn't get the cans out, but um, the other ladies in the music video certainly get it's the cans out on the Sir glass. Sir Mix-a-Lot, so. I understand, is a triple G. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So, look, I do appreciate that the song is called Kiss Kiss, but she never actually says Kiss Kiss, because in the chorus she just goes, Tonight you're going to get my... 
Yes. And does a kissing sound. So this I like is, that. Uh, originally a 97 song by a Turkish singer, Tarkan, mm. which explains the Middle Eastern Aeolian musical vibe here, yep. which sadly does not work at all with an ex neighbor star. <laughs> also, <laughs> yeah. how do they get production to sound this thin? Is there a giant roller press somewhere in Victoria that they feed TV cash-in singles under before they release them. Yeah. If you coughed near this, it would just fly out a window. But yeah, despite that, it debuted at number one in the UK, so make of that what you will. Oh yeah, absolutely. Look, the UK love this sort of stuff. But yeah, you're right. You listen to the original and just go, yeah, the Middle Eastern vibe is because, it, you know, <laughs> of the, the original track is obviously yeah. sung... Um, it, it, that's authentic. This is clearly yes. inauthentic. In fact, <laughs> this is even less authentic because this is a cover of a cover, in fact, because um, Someone the English, else English version oh. was written by Stella Soleil and she's Greek and she's like a Greek Holly Valance and it's also way better than this one. Uh, if you listen to it, you go, oh, right, that's what this is meant to sound like. It's yeah. sort of... It's her running around on the beach with hardly any clothes on too, but you, she keeps the sort of Middle Eastern vibe way better than... Than Holly yeah, did, this, yeah. This look. just sounds plastic. It sounds thin and plasticky, you know. Yeah, so this is her first album, had a number one single, and then the two follow-up singles also reached the top ten. Um, her follow-up in album, Australia. yeah, in Australia, um, that was Naughty Girl and Down Boy. She's fully <laughs> clothed in those two, so it was, See, wasn't quite... You're supposed yeah. to do it the other way around. Yeah, exactly. So the follow-up album wasn't as successful, only had one single released, um, made it to number 14. And then after that second album, didn't quite have the success, so she has retired from the music industry. But don't feel too bad for Holly, as she married a billionaire property developer about 10 years ago. Oh, no so shit. she hasn't really required uh, any sort of income no. from music since then. Get that uh, she also had a reoccurring role on Prison Break. <laughs> oh, um, the American show. One, okay. Yep. And she was also the poster girl for 1-800-REVERSE, uh, <laughs> which seems like something from 200 it years does, ago. It does, doesn't it? That's the, that's the pager effect. That's yeah. what I was talking about. For some reason, 1-800-REVERSE sounds so much more old-fashioned than I wrote someone a letter. Yeah. You know, a letter oh. still has a certain sense of class. Like, explain to someone what 1-800-REVERSE Well, a lot of people probably don't know what 1-800-REVERSE is. If you, um, back in 2002, you might not have had a mobile phone. Mm-hmm. Might not have had a cell phone, so you might have gone to a payphone, but then at the payphone you didn't have any money, and so you called one eight hundred reverse, <laughs> and then you'd say I want to talk to Steve, and then they'd phone up Steve and go Holly is on Holly's at a payphone and doesn't have any money. Will you accept the charges? And you'd be going Okay, I'll do that, and then you could talk to each mm. other. So that's how it worked, and then you'd get a bill for eighty seven dollars <laughs> because I'm sure one eight hundred reverse a, a pumped up the fees. Just free now. Did they just make them free? Ah, they, they might be. I don't know. I, I can't recall the last time I've used one. Only people never. I see using payphones now are smoking a cigarette, yep. drinking a can of pre-mixed Jack Daniels, yep. and may or may not be talking to someone else on the yeah. other end of the line. Look, I hope they're free. I think that's pretty good. But the problem for me is that if my phone ran out of batteries and I need to make a call, I don't know anyone's number. It's all yeah. in the phone. Like I don't <laughs> well, that's know right. anyone. I can't that's remember exactly anyone's right. actual you'd phone to, number. You'd have to go even older and go, click, click, operator, can you put me through to Dave who lives yep. up with you? Well, what I'd do now is I'd just call 1-800-REVERSE-TOM and I'm sure that they will take care of it for <laughs> Pat me. Pat Rafter even, and sort it out. Pat, no Pat Rafter and Holly for Lance <laughs> sort you out. 
Exactly. So Holly Valance, she's got 200,000 listeners on the Spotify. That's 200,000 more than I would have expected. Yeah, exactly. She's she's close to the same figure as Casey Chambers. And I believe Casey Chambers is still a going concern as a musician. Yeah. So it's quite, quite good for Holly Valance. Um, you can buy this for nine cents. Um, lyrical highlights? Um, well, keeping in mind that she didn't write either the original <laughs> no. or the English language version. No. Uh, when you look at me, tell me what do you see. This is what you get. It's the way I am. When I look at you, I want to be, I want to be somewhere close to heaven with Neanderthal man. Uh, so I'm guessing this was written after a hot night in the kebab line outside the saloon bar and one of Ravenswood's finest gentlemen got lucky that evening. I'd say so, definitely. Look at me, look at me, what do you see? Um, <laughs> a nude woman with laser lights. Torches pointing, torches pointing at her cans. Probably <laughs> that. Exactly. Now, Tom, when I was looking up the price of this on uh, Discogs, I did notice that the CD single has a very large sticker on it that says, also features the music video <laughs> as an enhanced CD yeah. ROM content. So <laughs> yes. um, if kids have any idea what the fuck I'm talking about there, yeah, sometimes they'd put... <laughs> extra video content and mm. other bullshit on CD yes. singles. And the larger the sticker, the more likely they thought that people were only gave a shit about it for the video. Yep, no doubt. So look, that's good stuff. Um, should we move on? Sure. What do we got next? Up next is Elvis Presley, mm. um, who was the previous worst thing until Eminem came along, <laughs> uh, versus... This is mm. a versus one again, not bum, featuring bum, versus. Uh, JXL or Junkie XL. Yes. Uh, a little less conversation. Four mm, weeks. Four weeks. Yeah, this was a big hit at the time. Yep. I remember that. Um, yeah. Well, JXL or Junkie XL, he, he fashioned a number one song out of what was what basically just an Elvis vocal sample and over a sort some of, beats and a guitar. Yeah. Bit. Yeah. Yeah. Look, it's from the Netherlands. He's from the Netherlands. It all makes sense. It all adds up. Yeah. Yeah. Now you might say, "What? Hey, dickheads! Why is this so much? Why is this better than that DJ Utsi or whatever?" <laughs> and the answer is because it's a better, it's a more musical version. Like that, he's actually kind of understands the appeal of the original song and isn't just sampling one line from the chorus and that yep. sort of thing. And you know, also it takes imagination to turn an Elvis song into a sort of dance number kind of thing. But the real answer is I'm not 100% sure why. I just know that this is better than that one. <laughs> yeah, look... Do you think so, or am I just uh, am I just skewed? Um, look, this isn't my favourite thing in the world, but you are right. Um, it's that, a cut above that DJ, The DJ Utsi thing it sounds fucking awful. It's terrible. Um, yeah. It sounds like someone put that together in... 24 to 48 hours I like yeah. just sat down and, whereas you feel like there's a bit more nuance you probably spend a bit more time trying to tease out yes. some, some you know I assume that he didn't put it together in one day I assume that Junkie XL yeah. spent a bit more time on this I could be wrong but um, I don't know well Junkie XL's real name is Tom Holkenborg yeah. he's a member of the Magnificent Six oh. a collaborative group of five other musicians consisting of Hans Zimmer Pharrell Whoa. Williams, uh, Pharrell, Johnny Marr from The Smiths, mm. Michael Einziger from Incubus, and composers Andrew Kosinski and Steve Mazzaro. This supergroup of artists ranging from diverse backgrounds teamed up to compose the score for the Marvel comic reboot second feature film of the original Spider-Man trilogy, The Amazing Spider-Man 2. So it's a good thing all that talent didn't go to waste on some bullshit project. Absolutely right, which is good. Fantastic, yeah. Well, 
I looked at his sort of... He hasn't had another big hit since this, no. but that's because he predominantly does films. Well, that's what I was leading time. to, yeah. Um, he's been involved in some of the biggest films over the past few years, um, including Sonic the Hedgehog, <laughs> the film, which well, I'm sure that's really good. But um, he also did Justice League, Spider-Man, etc., etc. Yeah, so um, he does he, a lot of work. He did Fury Road as okay. well. That was fucking sick. Hats yeah. off for that one. And he works with Hans Zimmer a lot. Yep. He just did the score for June that was fucking amazing. Cool. And not only that, but he managed to refrain from going blamp all the time anymore so well done there he must have gotten the memo that everyone was fucking sick of that no but doubt. look I any 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 electronic guy who's good enough to work with Johnny Marr Hans Zimmer and Pharrell and you know way off in the background buying the coffees one of the guys from Incubus yeah. like is you know I mean you got to have skills to be in on that team you know what's the dude from Incubus is he the guy on the turntables Michael Ainsley yeah guy. no that's Hopefully a, it's the turntable guy that's coming up and doing some Let me some just bullshit, um, so. check that. Yeah, but look, um, Elvis himself has had a fuck ton of number one songs in Australia. We don't need to sort of mention that. So uh, not just Australia, everywhere. So Elvis has had uh, eighteen number one songs on the Billboard charts. So he's clearly been very successful in life and in death. Because by the time this was released, Elvis had been dead for a long time. But look, good stuff. Junkie XL, this is if you're gonna take an old song and turn it into a dance song, he's certainly done a significantly better job than Entrance and DJ Utsi who who sucks shit. Yeah, so. no, I mean I'm not I'm not trying to say that this is the best thing ever, but no. yeah, I mean, for a start, I think um, a huge part of the success of this song in Australia was that at the same time uh, this was out. It was used in a massive national promotional campaign for Nike, oh, yeah. starring and to uh, starring the biggest soccer players in the world at the time: Ronaldo, Totti, Henri, Cantona, etc. Uh, it was one of those ads where they make a whole short film and then cut it up into different lengths. It was fucking everywhere on TV for ages. Aligned with FIFA, yeah, World Cup, this the year, World yeah. Cup, and I'm sure it sold a lot more copies of that song than people's awareness of Junkie XL ever did. Oh, no doubt, yeah. Um, it was a fuck sight better than the official video, which is just some chicks in bad jeans fannying about in front of coloured background. In fact, I'm pretty sure this big expensive campaign using a number one song got a lot of people interested in the next World Cup. In fact, as you say, because this was around the time ordinary, decent, hard-working Australians, by which I mean white people, finally started to give a shit about televised soccer uh-huh. in my memory. Like, this was yeah. kind of the point where I started hearing people in the office talking about FIFA, you know, other than just the one Italian guy who was tired from staying up till 4 o'clock yep. in the morning watching games and so forth. But, yeah, I mean, that it might just be a coincidence, but, like, in my mind, that's when this started happening. But, yeah. No, absolutely. That ad, you're right, was very popular, and it was. Yep. It was so prominent that in my brain, I thought that was the TV commercial. Yeah. But like I thought that was the video. I had yeah, to go, yeah. go, and I was like, "Oh fuck, this is for Nike." Yeah. Like, yeah. This isn't this is the video. Yeah. Football World Cup. Obviously, it's going to be shown everywhere in the world. They're going to make an ad for that. Nike's going to try and sell some shoes. Whatever song they choose to accompany that video is going to be massive. Yes. And this was the one that they chose. Yep. So there you go. What about Elvis, though? What, what's he done? <laughs> well, it also explains the massive worldwide success of uh, how many dudes you know flow like this by Scribe, <laughs> which was also used in Nike commercials. With <laughs> Not many, if any. <laughs> Not many, if no. any. Um, so, Ben, who is this Elvis guy? Has he done anything I would have heard? Um, uh, 
not that I'm aware of. Blues. Vaguely familiar, but yeah. Some blue suede shoes. He did blue, that one. Oh, blue, blue, blue suede okay. shoes. I've got those blue suede shoes. He did that one. <laughs> sure. I yep. think that was on a toothpaste commercial. Yeah, it was. That I saw. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I believe so. Okay. All of his, he only does, I think he does songs just for ads. I think Elvis does, yeah. Well, speaking of uh, writing songs, this original was written by Billy Strange and Mac Wilder. Uh, Billy co wrote most of Nancy Sinatra's stuff and worked on a lot of the Beach Boys albums, including Pet Sounds. Uh, and Mac Davis, you might know from Rock and Roll, I Gave You All the Best Years of My Life. Oh, yeah. Which is the kind of song they used to play in the heavy metal section of 7LA when I was growing <laughs> up. He also wrote Fairpoint in the ghetto, which is oh. great. And he wrote Watching Scotty Grow, which is fucking terrible. <laughs> so it goes to show in the 70s, it was a bit of a crapshoot down yeah, at the absolutely. recording industry offices. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lyrically, as you would expect, it's pretty simplistic. Uh a little less conversation, a little more action. All this aggravation ain't satisfactioning me. That always gave me the shits. Yeah. Satisfactioning's not a word, obviously. No. A little bit more bite, a little bit less bark, a little less fight, and a little more spark. Close your mouth and open up your heart, baby. Satisfy me. Good. Now, I'm sure those lyrics would go down <laughs> these days. But shut up and root me, basically, seems yeah. to be uh, what he's talking about. But, you know... With Elvis, it always sounded charming. Oh, absolutely right. So I can just imagine, if only, and I hope that the technology exists now, I'd like to see um, a hologram of Elvis, maybe fat Elvis, maybe thin <laughs> Elvis, maybe both. Maybe, um, because with a hologram, that's the beauty of the hologram, is well, you do whatever you want. So imagine Junkie XL there on the turntables, oh. spinning this with a hologram of Elvis coming down performing and then maybe throughout the hologram he can shift from, you know, sort of leather jacket, yes. sort of hound dog Elvis through to sort of, you know, that, you know, bedazzled Las Vegas fat Elvis. So I'd love to see, I, would, I, I wouldn't pay money. I'm not, I would not pay money for that, but I would watch it on a TV sure, screen and be like, that's, Nike commercial. that's, I'd watch it on a Nike commercial. It is, well, hey, it is the football world cup this as year, you Tom. Pointed maybe out get it out. last episode to yep. me, uh, I didn't realize this, but the next fucking Baz Luhrmann musical spectacular yep. is going to be about Elvis. It and is. if there's one thing he loves, it's a, uh, mashup that ages incredibly well and isn't just on the spur of the moment. So, <laughs> and also an awkward historical revision that nobody asked for. Yeah. So, if anybody can have morphing, waistline changing Elvis simultaneously singing a techno remix of one of his own songs whilst, uh, I don't know, flying up to heaven with big wings attached to his back while fucking confetti rains down for no apparent reason. It's Baz. It'll be Baz, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, um, is Leonardo DiCaprio playing Elvis? Because Baz does love sure. getting is. As long as there's a it... montage where Elvis throws shirts at the camera for 20 minutes, <laughs> I'm all in. Um, yeah, I don't know who's playing Elvis. Hopefully Adam Sandler. I think he would do a good job. <laughs> Uh, in that role but I don't know just as a side thing did you see Adam Sandler's not Oscar but I think it was Grammy acceptance speech for Uncut Gems no one best actor you should watch it it's pretty great he yeah it's kind of adorable actually despite all his success and wealth he is still sort of so self-conscious on stage being just himself that he kind of has to do a slight voice just to be there. To be, yeah. But he's really funny. He says, uh, like, this goes out to all the other serious actors who are going to have to go home tonight. 
and tell her partner that they lost to fucking Adam Sandler. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's really good. He, Look, I do yeah. respect the fact that he probably knows that 90% of the stuff he does is total trash. Yes, he's incredibly lazy, but then every time he does try to do a serious... Like, once every five or six years, he'll try to do a serious thing, and they always get kind of mixed results. Yeah. Like, either critics will like it, but nobody goes to see it, or people go to see it, but then they get panned, and, you know, so... Yeah, yeah I know Then he mean. thinks, well, then I could do Grown Up 7, and just they'll pay for me to go to fucking Hawaii with my mates and look at some cans, so... Exactly you know, right. Who's going to turn that off and down? I wouldn't. Yeah, definitely right. So, but look, you know, uncut gems. Um, look, it was good to see him. He, he obviously can play that sort of role. Yes, or um, he, he has a weird intensity when he wants to. He has a weird kind of nervous energy that he can kind of. Yeah, bring I mean, out. when you think like of punch all... drunk love is like that as well. He has this exactly. weird kind of tension um, to him. Don't mess with the Zohan. <laughs> The tension, the tension in that. Um, uh, I take no, don't mess with the Zohan over those films where he goes on holiday. At least that's an actual movie. I mean, yes, he's playing a kung fu hairdresser from Israel and stuff, but you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's oh the cobbler? I think. um, Oh god. See, that was one of those serious ones where everyone just goes, "What the fuck is this shit?" I think didn't I can't remember who it was, but someone took umbrage at the cobbler because like. Is it a cobbler someone that repairs shoes, isn't it? And like a, a cords wine is like a... Oh, the a, person who makes, makes shoes. shoes. Oh, and, okay. and I think they were like, it had the wrong title because I, <laughs> I think he was like making shoes in this, but he, he should have been a shoe repairer or something. Okay. So, um, but I think if you're delving into those sorts of issues with Adam Sandler films, you're going to find that, you know, there's a lot of <laughs> continuity yes. errors across yeah. the man's career. But yeah. So look, um, yeah, good on that. Good on Elvis. Can't wait to see who Baz pulls up for, for that role. So sure, good sure. stuff. Um, look, up next. Oh, sorry. Did I say 13 million people on Spotify for Elvis? 2 million for Junkie XL, and you can buy this for 40 cents. That's less and then more than I would have expected, but yeah. Yeah, I think. 13 million for Elvis. Elvis is, not Elvis's million. core listenership, though, is probably outside the realm of a Spotify yeah, audience. Yeah, true. So they would be slowly dying. I off, gather yeah. that um, if you're an Elvis fan, you probably have the CDs um, or the 78s, <laughs> the, the, the Edison wax <laughs> yes. cylinder, whatever the fuck it might be. Sure. Um, and young people probably, yeah, they probably don't need to listen to this apart. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, well, cool. Speaking of shit that young people love, what have we got next? <laughs> Vanessa Carlton, a thousand. Miles ah, for two weeks. Miles. Now, look, Tom, Vanessa Carlton taught me something. What she taught she me do? that becoming a one hit wonder is so extremely improbable that people who do become one hit wonders should celebrate the fact that they are one hit wonders rather than seeing it as a failure. Yeah, so, just like fucking and I can agree the guy with that. from the New Radicals that we're yeah. talking about. Unless it's a dog shit novelty song. If you're a one hit wonder <laughs> with a novelty song, you can get the fuck out. But apart from that, I think Vanessa Carlton um, hit the nail on the head where she sort of said, look, you know, I'm a, uh, I was a young woman. I just played the piano. I... You know, got this record deal, released this song. The fact that it was a hit, you know, when you think of every other artist in a calendar year that, you know, both seasoned artists, people who've been around for years, newcomers, you know, all that space of trying to get music out, get it promoted, get it out into the ether. So to have a one-hit wonder, um, she did say it's something that she's proud of. So which is pretty good. Why not? Yeah. If you've ever seen that show... um, it's on it's on uh, Vice um, and on SBS Viceland here in Australia called The Story Of and they talk about the story of 
particular songs. Oh, okay. And this is one of the ones I that they did. I should check that out. Um, they tackle all the big hits. So they did this one. They tackle, um, you know, other songs that I guess have, you know, a real resonance with people such as um, the Baja Men who let the dogs out, um, <laughs> Eiffel 65 Blue. So it's that sort of... Oh, it's, wow, you know, you're really selling this it's, show. It, it, is, it, it falls into that vice category where you don't know whether they're being ironic or earnest, you know what I mean? So Because they've chosen, you know, who let the dogs out, which is kind of like objectively shit. So are they, are they all one-hit wonders on this show? Is it, is it, is it a secret... You know, hipster. Not all, where are they now? No, type they just they. It's it's recorded in earnest, but you don't know whether the subject's been chosen because it's a bit shit. So uh, they do. So they do sandstorm. You know. Oh yeah, it's rude. Yeah, yeah. they do that. Um, Eiffel sixty five, blue, yeah, shaggy. Yeah. Um, so there's a few in there you're not <laughs> sure about. Yeah. And then they do this one, which seems to be the most sort of yeah, nor like less gimmicky yeah. of the songs. But anyway, so, so they interview her. I think it was made last year. So they interviewed her. You know, sort of a decade ish, two decades on yeah. actually. So sort of, yeah, about twenty years on, and she just talks about how um, the song came to be, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So yeah, it was pretty interesting. So look, apparently. Um, look, she recorded a demo tape and this song was just a, an instrumental interlude on the album, the piano bit. Yeah. So she just did that and then um, due to the record label who she'd signed with um, thought that she's, they were like, this is a hit. So that he got the song, reworked it, added a heap of shit in there and she wrote this uh, when she was 16 years wow. of age and after a little bit of rejigging admittedly um, look it became a massive hit so, so so in that video she's what 17, 18? probably yeah she's not very old so um, look it's pretty upbeat for a piano song yeah. like a lot of piano ballad things are just fucking boring as all hell but they sort of yeah. um, this has a bit of a sort of it builds especially for something by a 16 year old like it's not just kind of emo complaining about yeah. stuff I think the piano bit sort of um, it, it sort of has that earworm quality it probably can get yeah. stuck in your head for about three years So I am um, a sucker for piano songs I must admit they, yep. yeah. oh yeah and look um, obviously the music video for this is actually very cool as well so if you're unfamiliar with that so because yeah. usually I think um so this was di directed by um, Mark Klusfeld, who's directed over 200 music videos. Uh, another one of those guys. Yeah, yep. for some of the biggest names in the business. Alien Ant Farm, Head P, <laughs> Sum 41, Three Doors Down, Kid Rock, Flow Rider, all the big <laughs> names. But what he realized is that with a lot of these piano songs, it's just someone stuck behind a piano yeah. and it's not the you can't it's not like if you've got a guitar you can jump off a stage or like that's slash true. throw the guitar into it you know off a cliff once you've done a solo so that's why the video features her using a keytar yeah it does because yeah. that way you combine the best of both instruments and you get the best of both worlds for sure so yeah no actually the, the video so the piano is um, on the back of a truck yes and then she's driving through all different parts you know so she's down on the street then she's out yeah. you know in the city then she's out you know in the countryside doing all kinds of it's shit. So, yeah. like Long Way to the Top by ACDC, except yeah. if Angus Young was a cast member of the AC <laughs> sort of thing. But, exactly, yeah. exactly. So look, makes it makes it more interesting the music video. So, yeah, I like. I don't. I don't hate this. I have to say, the production isn't over the top, but it's definitely effective. They just highlight the piano, her voice, and a few little background touches. Yeah, like I always get sucked in by those staccato background strings. Yep. in the pre-chorus part that sort of do 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 yep. sort of thing yeah it's 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 yeah like you say it's a bit of an earworm yep. but not bad for something 
written by someone who was 16 at the time. Oh, absolutely. No, I completely agree. I think it's like actually uh, probably one of the better songs from this year's list. Yeah, and, and there's a lot of songs this year that are written by really fucking young people. Yeah, exactly. I don't know if it's just a coincidence, I guess. Yeah, yeah for sure. And look, you knew this was going to be big because it featured on the soundtrack to Legally Blonde. <laughs> so we knew it was going to be massive. It also, I believe, featured prominently in the film White Chicks. <laughs> yes, it did. Well, so. <laughs> absolutely. One of the cast members of White Chicks talks about it on this Vice thing, so <laughs> oh pops in. I still haven't seen White Chicks. I'm assuming that it's lasted incredibly well. Um, yeah, I saw it when it came out and <laughs> it was awful, but um, I assume it's <laughs> like a fine wine. It's probably improved with age. So, yeah. Um, look, this song, when Vanessa, they asked Vanessa Carlton what the song was about lyrically, she said it's about a Juilliard school student. So she, oh, okay. um, she, she moved to New York City to, I think... Um, go to a ballet school at 16 wow yep. okay uh, and then the ballet school didn't really work out wasn't her thing so she just you know went oh well my backup's music and obviously yep. talented enough to write this hit so, um, but yeah so she she met a Juilliard school student um, who apparently now is a very famous actor oh, okay so she had a crush on them at the time while she was studying um, but won't reveal who the song's about. So I went onto Wikipedia and had a look through the <laughs> list of um, alumni, Juilliard School mm-hmm. alumni, and I've deduced that the song was written about Robin Williams. Ah, uh, yes. Well, that does make sense. It does make sense. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I assume so. I think it was his performance in Jack that finally uh, brought her round. <laughs> no doubt. Absolutely. So Vanessa Carr, she was wearing a Flubber t-shirt in the, uh, the Vice documentary, so big fan, yeah. Uh Ben, the album that this is from was called Be Not Nobody. Yeah. Is that one of the worst album titles of all time? That's It is, yeah, absolutely. Uh, The short answer, I'm afraid, is of course not. Uh, The worst album title of all time is a tie between Chocolate Starfish and the Hot Dog Flavored Water, (laughs) Lincoln Park, and Chocolate Starfish by Chocolate Starfish. Yeah. So, yeah, this could never approach that level. But still, Be Not Nobody is Be Not Very Good. Yeah, that's fucking trash. It'd be not good at all. Well, you can't win everything, I think. But, uh, look, you know, yeah, this was her first album, so maybe I'll give her a pass for that terrible, terrible, terrible time. Well, that's the weird thing. Like, lyrically, it's better than... Be Not Nobody sounds like a 17-year-old wrote it. But the lyrics, actually, they're not too bad, you know. They're sort of... They're not. They're a little bit bland, but like making my way downtown, walking fast, faces pass, and I'm homebound, staring blankly ahead, just making my way, making the way through the crowd, and I need you, and I miss you, and now I wonder if I could fall into the sky. Do you think time would pass me by? Because you know I'd walk a thousand miles if I could just see you. Yep. I'm not sure if those lyrics are bad or not. But she should definitely give the Proclaimers a call for some sort of charity walkathon, yeah. where the three of them go for a 1,609.34 kilometre stroll just to show up at some dickhead's house and sweat all over them. Yeah, exactly. Look, I was going to say she she won up the Proclaimers on this, didn't? Oh they? no, because they specified that they would at walk 500 miles and 500 another more. 500. So more. they're walking the same distance. Yeah, yeah, they've got halfway and gone. Should we keep going? Yes. yes. Yep. Whereas she's just gone, nah, I'm going a thousand miles just to look at someone. Yeah. But the thing is, they were walking the thousand miles. She's going the thousand miles sitting by a piano on the back of a truck. That's true. So, and also she does specify that she has the ability to, quote, fall into the sky. That's true. So perhaps she has some sort of 
you know, she might be going a thousand miles vertically. Flight power, yes, that's true. Yes, or she can travel horizontally. She's just jumped off the moon. She's going to travel <laughs> a thousand true. miles that way. So <laughs> sure. that, that's probably not scientific how it works, jumping off the moon. Well, but anyway, speaking of highly mature songwriters, um, who have we got so just a real quick four million for Vanessa Carlton yeah. on Spotify. That's a pretty good amount. She's still um, got people listening. Yeah, exactly right. So four million. She I think would is great. be on a lot of Hortz. Playlist. Greatest hits oh, of the Orts playlist. Absolutely sure. right, definitely. Best video clip things, probably, or best, yep. you know, piano ballads piano or some shit. Yep. Um, and 30 cents for that. Uh, good times. All right, so up next for six weeks, Avril Lavigne, Complicated, mm, Tom. Not her first hit. Her first hit was Skater Boy, but this is her first, first number, number one hit. Yep. Yes. Now, look, do you think this song is written about her marriage to the dude from Nickelback? <laughs> Probably not, as this was released about 10 years prior, but I imagine that was one complicated relationship. Mm. Avril and Nickelback guy. I like to imagine them at, say, 2 o'clock in the morning. They've both had a few drinks. They've been out in an awards show. They've come home. Tempers have flared a bit. And they're in their giant mansion, giant mansion having a screaming match that ends with each of them accusing each other of having the dorkiest name in the world. <laughs> oh, good one, Avril. Oh, nice comeback, Chad. Yeah. Just that goes on till you know, someone throws a glass at a wall and then they go to bed. Yeah, I'd say that's probably how it works. Um, I, I guess that probably happened a lot. <laughs> and then, But it, the, the thing is, though, we learnt with Seal um, serenading... Um, Heidi Klum mm. with Kiss from a Rose that she obviously just fucking had enough and had to get out of there because she was just yes. sick of Seal being like yeah. do you know when it's just like with these two I would have thought they were about on an well that's what I'm saying really. what's worse like you know Chad's just on the couch and she comes in why did everything have to be so complicated and he's like yeah. oh no thanks and then she's on the toilet he's like going I like your pants around <laughs> your feet it's like fucking hell Jesus like not a lot of people know that that's what inspired that song <laughs> Avril taking a dump so look I hope that they had really good insulation because if you were imagine living next door to this shit I wonder if they had like a a Toronto apartment or some (laughs) shit and then the neighbours has been like fucking hell who do you live next door to oh Chad and Avril and it's like Christ on a bike yeah they just sing their own shit songs to each other all day what a nightmare so what's this song actually about oh the song's about it's complicated look it is very complicated it's sort of a situation that many girls of Avril's age I guess are familiar with where they're boyfriend is great when they're alone just hanging out together mm-hmm. he's really good but when you know he's around the friends his friends he acts like a complete fuckstick so that's yes. sort of what it's about so i was never sexually attached to any teenage boys but i do remain quite familiar with this phenomenon in fact i think it extends into adulthood for yes. a disturbing <laughs> number of people Indeed. i assume there's a gen z song equivalent which reinterprets around his friends for on social media yep I guess at least this is a song that acknowledges you can point out this behaviour instead of just putting up with it. I suppose the ninety nine, the 1995 Tasmanian equivalent would have been a song called Why Does Every Party Have to End With You Trashing the Lounge Room to 10 Ton Happen While All the Chicks Are in the Backyard Playing Uno <laughs> on Their Own. But um, yeah, they were too nice to point that behaviour out at the time, so we just kept doing it. Yeah, unfortunately, Avril did go on to undermine this nascent feminism somewhat with the song Girlfriend, which is about how you should definitely stab a bitch in the back to get her partner to bone you. (laughs) So, yeah, that's what I mean. We've gone from 
uh, riot girl to girl power to girlfriend. That's what I like about Avril. Hey, you hey, never... you, you. I don't <laughs> like your girlfriend. But that's what I like about Avril. She keeps you guessing. You never know what you're going to get. So True. It's, you know, she's True. coming at it from all angles. So look, this is a less of a uh, skate punk vibe than Skater Boy Tom, as you mentioned previously. Sure. Now, do you think that Musically. Avril? Do you think she was practicing her kickflips on the daily Scott Kane style, <laughs> or do you think the skate punk image was completely contrived from the beginning? Mm. I mean, Avril's skateboarding in the video clip. Um, for about six seconds yeah. but I don't really know if this is Avril you know doing it or whether it's sort of uh, you know her saying you know skateboarding's my identity I want to be sort of a skate punk pop yes. sort of artist or whether the record label's just like going oh skateboards yeah. we could probably use that well, in the well in that the pink video from January she skateboards for about six seconds in that video yeah. just long enough to fall over as well so you know same question like you know yeah exactly like I'd hate you know, for Avril, if she did legitimately skateboard for three months when she was 15, but now that's the defining characteristic <laughs> of her identity. Yeah, and now she's forced to wear a fucking bandana around her wrist for the next two decades, being, look at me, I've got stripy socks and shit. Yeah, be like if Pink actually boat. hated the colour pink. Yeah. It's yeah. just like they gave her that one haircut for that one album and then she was just stuck with it for the rest of her fucking Yeah, career. exactly right. So look, um, is everything, I don't know, it sort of asks the question, is, yeah. is absolutely everything everything completely dictated yes. by a record label yeah. so when they sign a new talent you know does a record label pull up the excel spreadsheet and go okay we've got that bubble gum pop scott kane that appeals to kids we've got the singer that's effectively a supermodel the dudes who want to watch we've got a pop rapper someone who dances a bit you know what else do we need how about a skateboard yeah so i don't really know whether you know the skate kids are not listening to Avril Lavigne, no. like the legit dudes that actually have a skateboard, no. you know, because this, you know, this song Complicated is actually weak as shit and was it was number three on the adult contemporary chart in America. Yeah, yeah, it sounds more like a, a sort of, you know, a, an older person song, like... And the themes within it are, like you say, they could apply to teenagers, but they could also apply to other people, whereas Skateable is definitely targeted but I know, oh, yeah. I know what you mean I had the same question with Pink when we were talking about her last year yep. and I was thinking about it and I think my, I have no real understanding of the record industry I know it's hard to believe that from my awesome observations but <laughs> uh, I do I think I suspect that the answer to that question depends a lot on how much the artist is bringing to the party and how much the record label is bringing to the party yep. if like Pink you're like a uh, you know, like you're a busker that got discovered on Holly on um, fucking in LA on the fucking down by the beach, the boulevard or whatever. Yep. And then you're really you're just doing whatever they say, whatever you, they put you in or whatever. You're not writing the songs. You're not very good at singing. They have to teach you how to dance, what to wear, what your name is, what colour your hair should be, and all yep. that sort of stuff. And then same as Kane in same as Avril. Do a, do a kickflip, so. <laughs> yeah. Whereas if you show up like Casey Chambers and you have an established audience in a different arena than the one you're moving into, like you've got a country and western audience, but you're trying to be a pop star, people know your name already. They know what you look like already and you write your own songs and play your own instruments, yep. they're not... So then I'm guessing you get a bit more, you know, a bit more leeway into what 
you look like and what your image is. And even then, they still convinced her to wear a dumb jacket on the cover. Of her. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Look, it is. It is really difficult to say. And I gather also gender probably has a lot to do with yeah. it too. But you know, still. Oh, look. I think the answer to the question is that it's probably it's not, not like no one comes in a hundred percent fully formed, and no one no, probably comes. No, in with if they nothing, did, they'd have their own label. They yeah, wouldn't exactly. need a record company. I'm sure it's a sliding place. scale, and then the record labels will be like, "Oh, yeah. look, I saw you skated." To in here today yeah. this meeting why don't we incorporate some of that but, but like you say I think it's like Pink like we were talking about she's like she's not vanilla but she's uh, she's the pink in the Neapolitan she's right next to vanilla yep. which is like Avril Lavigne Avril Lavigne here like she's designed to appeal to people who would buy normal 13 year old girl music but think they're a bit more they like something a bit more edgy but yep. they're not actually edgy enough to be actually listening to Black Flag or no. some 41 or actual skate bands, you know. So, yeah, but there's a market for that. So then they carefully aim her into that niche, you know. Yep. Yeah. No, exactly right. Look, I don't think uh, any Avril songs were on skate videos around circa 2002. No, no. But look, Avril's record company, um, Arista, they had her work with several producers yep. sort of on this album before they found a combination that worked. So the combination... Well, again, songwriting... she's really fucking young as Yeah, well. she is. Like... Yeah, exactly. So they found um, a songwriting trio, uh, Lauren Christie, Graham Edwards and Scott Spock, who collectively called themselves, wait for it, Tom, <laughs> The Matrix. Yes. Fucking the stupidest yes. shit I've ever heard in my life going, we're a songwriting yeah. tree, we're going to call ourselves The Matrix. The only like, thing you can say... a film called that yeah, came out like two years yes, ago. Yes, I know. The Matrix, they were a production songwriting trio who also wrote for Britney, Christina, Hilary Duff, etc. They've tailed off a bit recently, but they were very big at this time. Yeah. Uh, they also formed a band with Adam Longlands and the then unknown outside of Bible Basher circles, Katy Perry. Okay. Uh, they, re- they recorded a full album together and then argued about it so much that they shelved it. And by the time they were ready to actually release it, Katy Perry's first solo album had come out and nobody cared anymore if they ever had about The Matrix, who nobody really knew. Yeah. Like you say, if you'd said The Matrix at the time, anybody would just think of the movies. Uh, Katy Perry was quoted as saying, thank God that didn't come out, you know. I had this kind of quirky, unique perspective and they had a very mainstream pop perspective, which was really cool too, but I wasn't used to it. We made a record that sonically sounds brilliant but doesn't say much, even though there's a few songs I still love. My own stuff is very heart on the sleeve. Uh, The fact that it isn't, and she doesn't, suggests that (laughs) Katy Perry, like a surprising number of successful artists, doesn't actually know what her own music sounds like (laughs) or what the appeal of her abstract persona is, in contrast to The Matrix, who, like most successful producers, are acutely aware of those qualities while not possessing them personally and have to hire outside Mm. to get this factor X from someone who doesn't know what Factor X is and think they actually possess Factor W instead. So she didn't want the album to be released because it was too poppy. What the fuck is she yeah, talking about? she's not commercial. She's got a quirky, unique perspective. Her own she's stuff is very hard on the sleeve. Songs, yeah. You know, like that song about let's all do shots and go out, you know. Yeah, exactly. Um, or Bon Appetit, which uh, uh, look, features lyrics about um, her getting eaten out, <laughs> uh, basically. Yes. So it's good. Or the marvelous videos featuring her naked squirting, <laughs> fucking yep. whipped cream out of her nipples and stuff. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, I, I'm a big fan of Katy Perry, um, mostly because um, it's it is just complete trash. 
like a lot of the time. Yes. And then she'll try and do like an emotional this ballad and be like, oh, I'm, I'm really, about. I'm serious now, more serious. And the next single will be like her like shitting, you know, yes. on top of a it's cannon like or something. It's like Kylie. I would respect her more if she just accepted that it was trash and yeah. went, yeah, I'm the queen of trash. I'm going to stand on a stage on a giant golden pile of crap. Absolutely. You know? Oh, look. So... <laughs> I will say, Tom, that we will get to talk about Avril again in the future. So this is not, oh, the, not the last time we get to talk about good. Avril. But it's not going to be... Um, unfortunately, we won't be talking about the duet with Chad oh. that she did, um, which is fucking woeful. <laughs> um, but we, that didn't make it to number one, so we won't get to talk about it. Is it a hard rule that a musical couple should wait until they've been in a relationship for five years before, before they do a duet. Mm. I think that would be a wise move. Even more, really. Yeah, because I think it would result in a lot less. We've been boning for two weeks, so we decided to get in the studio to record something and are so into each other that we didn't realise that recorded output is total fucking garbage <laughs> because that happens a lot. Almost mm. exclusively, those songs are that. And it isn't limited to music, obviously. I refer once again to Vanilla Ice and the Madonna sex book. Now, can you imagine if Madonna and Vanilla Vanilla Ice released a single. I mean, <sighs> fucking Unfortunately, hell. I can very easily imagine it. In my head, it sounds a little bit like the theme song <laughs> Die Another Day. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly right. But with slightly more rhymes about how dope you look with your hat on backwards rolling in your 5.0. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So look, um, you know I'm a huge fan of parody songs and Weird sure. Al <laughs> did a, a parody of this. And now, of course... <laughs> We got to understand that at the time, Avril Lavigne was was quite young. She just come sure, into the music yes. industry. She was dealing with the whole sort of scenario of what it must be like being a young female artist trying to make your way in music, trying to forge your own identity, but sure. also having sort of outside influences trying to guide you in certain directions. Which I think, in many ways, the song is probably a little bit about how being a pop star and being a new pop star can be quite complicated. Yes. So I think Weird Al sort of listened to this song and then tried to sort of do a parody song about what it must be like for Avril Lavigne being a young lady in the sort of complicated and difficult music industry, you know, sure. as a young woman. And it, of course, features the lyrics, why'd you have to go and be make me so constipated? Right now, I'd do anything just to get my bowels evacuated. <laughs> So he really hit the nail on the head there, I think. Really who's, sort of who's he addressing in that song? Is he talking to a to Avril? big pile of hamburgers or something? I'm not really sure, but really... <laughs> Unless of, he is saying that Avril made him constipated. It could be. I, might, I don't know, but it makes you think about... I mean, unless she does like have that effect on people, it would explain Chad Kroger's singing voice yeah. in Nickelback. Yeah, exactly. If he was... Constantly constipated. With his pants around his feet. Yeah, trying to take a shit from being in close proximity to Avril Lavigne. Oh, exactly. Look, who knows? I don't know, but Weird Al hit the nail on the head yet again. <laughs> what are lyrical highlights for this? Um, well, okay. First off, no suburban eighteen-year-old should start a song by t- talking the words "uh-huh." That's the way it is because life's like this. <laughs> unless it's in a fucking Weird Al parody. Yeah. Uh, times must be getting tougher for Al as we enter the mid-aughts and pop lyrics evolve from head injury level stupid into a level of dumbness that is, like any Trump quotes, essentially self-mocking in that it can be viciously satirised by simply repeating them verbatim in any other context. (laughs) This is on the cusp of that uh, part, but yeah, she didn't write them. No. Fair point. The funny part is The Matrix did, I assume. Yeah, well, the funny part is that while Levine is credited for songwriting alongside The Matrix... They have publicly disputed this and said she changed like two words and maybe added life's like this at the start or whatever. 
But whether she did or not, this is a bit like watching four seagulls fight to the death over a cigarette butt, frankly. <laughs> uh, you come over unannounced, dressed up like you're something else. Where you are and where it's at, you see, you're making me laugh out loud when you strike your pose. Take off all your preppy clothes. You know, you're not fooling anyone when you become someone else around everyone else. Mm. Okay, I don't really see why wearing decent clothes is offensive, but you get the general vibe. She's positioning herself as authentic while a subject is trying too hard and being too influenced by social pressures and stuff. However... We have to take her word for that bit of self-branding in this song. Yep. For instance, in the video to this, she wears three-quarter-length cargo jorts with a chain wallet, a wife beater under a tartan necktie, and has visibly ironed her hair. So I'm not exactly sure if she has the authority to pay out this dude's blazer. Yeah. I mean, let me ask you this. Would you rather hit the town dressed like a Kmart crust punk or Robert Downey Jr. in less than zero? <laughs> Possibly. The latter. Definitely the latter, yeah. <laughs> Possibly. Um, Spader in Pretty in Pink. Yeah, you know, yeah. I know what I'd prefer, frankly. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So look, 17 mil for Avril Lavigne. It's a lot on the Spotify. That's you buy this too many, cents. frankly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So look, um, she'll be back at some time in the future with some more trash, no doubt. But mm. look, up next, Tom, is Scooter, the logical song. Oh, God. Now, I had no idea what the fuck this was before having to listen to it Mm. for the podcast um, it's a fucking yeah. awful Eurobeat cover of a Supertramp song yep um, this isn't their first rodeo in terms of bullshit covers uh, their hit I'm Raving samples Walking in Memphis mm. changing the lyrics of um, put on my blue suede shoes and uh, you know that's board of the plane and board of the plane to put on my raving shoes and board of the plane mm. Raving shoes, not a thing, but sure. Yeah. And the, <laughs> the lyrics, I can't believe this is really a thing. In the chorus of that song where he goes, I'm mm. walking in Memphis. They've, he's just changed them to, I'm raving, I'm raving. Oh, Christ almighty. Yeah, I tell you what, these guys better be uh. fucking, fucking grateful to DJ Utsi for stopping them getting shittest song of the year by some distance award. <sighs> I mean, it, it's for me. It's real close between that. And this. Yeah, this is a. It's a tiny improvement, I would say. I mean, trust me, it's yep. not much. This has actual sort of EDM production. You could take away the shitty Super Tramp sample yep. and take away his terrible intro stuff. The sorry, HP Baxter with two X's, the lead singer, <laughs> his awesome <laughs> breakdowns, and you would be left with a functional, right, like a techno song you could play at a rave that people yeah. would dance to. Whereas DJ Utsi, that is just the sole purpose of that song is to get people who are drunk at a hen's party to go, Hey, yep. baby, yep. ooh, ah, I yep. want to know. That's that's it. And he didn't write that, that's pinched from a 60-year-old song. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah. Well, but, but it is close. Like you say, this is not great by any means. No, look, uh, this is this is pretty bad. Yeah, they're, uh, they're like entrance, I think you would say. They're uh, in the same league. Yeah, but the um, the I'm Raven is significantly worse than this. Oh, okay, uh, Jesus. <laughs> this is one of their best this ones. Is their, this is their, the better okay. of their material. Um, sure. They also do a fucking awful cover of Rebel Yell. Oh, God. Um, right. And look, Scooter's from Germany, just in case you were wondering. Sure, sure. sure. Um, 
There's KLF references in the lyrics. Yeah, weird as yeah. Hell, so. I would have said, get that name out of your fucking mouth, frankly, because yeah. you do it. <laughs> yeah. But look, um, they're in the same league as Entrance for me, but still, they've sold 30 million albums worldwide. <laughs> so what the fuck do I know? And they've had loads of top 10 hits in Germany. So fucking people love... Christ, that is depressing. <laughs> Again, this is some saloon-level techno, and... No rave DJ with a hint of self-respect would drop this shit outside of maybe Germany. The only way I can make myself feel better about these sales numbers is to think that, bizarrely, these guys have been around since 1993, yeah. and you could produce this in a week. So I'm guessing they used the sort of musical shotgun approach and just fired both barrels at shitty nightclubs all across Europe over and over again for a decade. I mean, oh, that's look, the only answer I could think of. No, absolutely right. And look, I think that um, uh, from a business point of view, that makes complete sense to just, if you release 200 songs, yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah. one of them may break yeah. through and be a club hit. So and I, I'd say that's what Scooter's done. Look, they're still pumping out trash today, which is impressive. Um, they're onto their sixth iteration Fucking of the hell, group. They're still going now. Yep, sixth God, iteration. Years. Yeah. Fucking so they hell. keep cha- the group keeps changing and morphing. But oh, sorry, thirty years. I yeah, should yes, say. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, they've been years. going going for thirty God years on iteration number six, and they did a single with uh, Timmy Trumpet last year. <laughs> so you know they're on point. Jesus. Okay. Um, well, lyrically, look, the original 1979 Supertramp lyrics are in the Pink Floyd talking heads XTC making plans for Nigel mode of a sort of vague complaint about the homogenising and dehumanising effects of UK private schools, which was a topic that they never <laughs> seemed to get sick of. Uh, Scooter have cherry-picked the chorus bit about life was so wonderful, magical, beautiful, and used it, minus the irony, to give people something to feel good about when they're fucked up on ecstasy, like they need any help. Uh, Don't worry though, Ben, because vocalist H.P. Baxter with two X's is more ambitious than that, and he's added his own verses. Uh, Verse one, for instance, uh, Good morning, yeah, one, two, one, two, three, four, pump it up, ah... I ramp, me no ramp, me no skin, me no play, yeah. When me chant, pom the microphone, and me say with the DJ, junglists in the place, junglists on the case, scooter, are you ready? Now, I barely need to point out that this is not jungle, and also that HP Baxter with two X's is not just white, but aggressively white. He has bleached white hair, an ear, eyebrow, and nose piercing, and in the video he's wearing a white turtleneck and white jeans under a white trench coat. He looks like a Nazi Mugatu, and I'm not here for it, frankly. Uh, No white person should be saying pon under any circumstances, not because of political correctness, because you sound fucking ridiculous. Yeah. There is a metaphorical toilet bowl brimming with these words, and it's growing every day. Feel free to chuck in any there that you can think of as we progress. Yeah, sure. No, I will do, Tom, absolutely. Look, what I do like about Scooter is that um, not so much on this song, but certainly um, on the I'm Raving song, as I talked about before, that usually when people take a song and they want to change the lyrics, they try and use maybe a word that rhymes with the original, they might try and yes. use... Take, take the original lyrics and build on them or change yeah. them in a subtle way. Or have it refer to something related to the new style of music or something like that. Exactly right. So sort of try and do that. But when you have the chorus that goes, I'm walking in Memphis, and you've changed the lyrics to, I'm raving, I'm raving, 
No thought has gone into that. No, You've not used no any creative hasn't. wordplay. But I, I think that, that I might embrace that as well and sort of just take some classic songs um, such as, say, something like John Lennon's Imagine seems to be sort of universally, <laughs> you know, recognised mm. as, as a big song. So, you know, what if you just did a cover of that and just instead of, you know, imagine all the people, you just went, I'm raving, I'm raving. <laughs> I'm raving, I'm raving, and just said I'm <laughs> raving over and over again. Do you think, think you get a hit out of that? In 2003, if you added 160 BPMs, yep. yes, you probably 160 would BPMs under John Lennon's <laughs> Imagine and just change the lyrics to, instead of <laughs> Imagine, just say I'm raving over and over again. I think it could work. Let's do yes. it. Let's do it. I mean, it doesn't give me pleasure to shit on dance music audiences, crowds, because <laughs> I used to be in them. Mm. But you can't avoid the fact that the dance music industry is a hungry beast it needs a lot of content a lot of the time and because of the qualities of the music you can't just stick shit take stuff off the normal charts without reworking it yeah so you do need these twats to come along and supply or at least they've sort of parasitically globbed onto the industry yep. and figured out a way that they can get money whilst simultaneously getting 18 year old girls wearing furry ankle boots on high on ecstasy to have sex with a 50-year-old German guy with bleached white hair. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, really it just makes you feel bad about the whole thing because it, these sales figures demonstrate a fairly low <laughs> a fairly low quality control level <laughs> for this music as a genre, uh, you know. Yeah. But, hey, look, well, like the guy said once, 90% of everything is crap, so this definitely falls into that basket. But, yeah, Tommy, you're right. It is just really a supply chain issue, I think. And, you know, yeah. the demand is there and they needed supply and uh, Scooter stepped in and filled the gap. That's so. right. So, look, all good. Uh, three mil a, a month. Scooter still gets. Oh, well, those sales figures, they've obviously got a, Euro, uh, yep. a European audience. Mm. Yeah. And 38 cents for this, so, but I don't recommend purchasing this no. under any circumstances. So, look. Let's right. move on to something that's had a bit more thought put into it for a bit more thought and a bit more longevity time, and that's Lust Catch Up, <laughs> the catch up song for three weeks. I said, eh. Uh, yes. <laughs> now, as far as dance crazes go, this has to be one of the wackest. Like, this is weak as fuck. Unless you're a double amputee and have had both of your arms cut off, then there isn't a person on the planet who couldn't master the move to this in about yeah, 30 seconds. you're right. It, like, it makes the Macarena look like the Argentinian tango. Yeah. About 80% of the dance seems to be waving both hands, palm down, flat, yeah. side to side at waist height. Like you're emphasising to the guy behind the counter that you definitely don't want pineapple on your pizza, even though you've already had to say it twice and you can still hear his fucking hands creeping towards the yeah. tub with the pineapple chunks in it. Exactly. But yeah, that's most of, that's like, most of the stuff. The dance move is, is just moronic. And the song itself is also completely fucking yeah. stupid. Because it's about a dude named Diego who loves uh, Sugar Hill Gang's 1979 hit Rapper's Delight. But he doesn't understand the English lyrics, so he makes up his own raps, which are complete gibberish. And that yes. coincides to the actual lyrics of this actual song. Yes. So the that's a real character in the song. It's a of stupidity. Exactly. The girls in Lust Catch Up doing impersonation of the character in the song who's doing a gibberish version of rappers it's, it gets it's, even stupider which I'll come to later geez, on but yeah, yeah please like uh, you say clearly yeah they were onto something I guess <laughs> <laughs> 
Some say this is catchy. It's just fucking stupid. Yeah, look, if you've forgotten this song like I had, and there's one every year that I legitimately lose track of, and this is one of these, I had yeah. to look it up just to remind myself what it is. It doesn't help that the name has nothing to do with the song. And like, as Ben says, it's the one where the chorus sounds like it's three chicks going a hip, a hop, a hip, 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 a Despite that, this was number one in Australia, New Zealand and Canada, and all across Europe, although only 54 in America. So, oh. frankly, that is a big chalk stripe on the board for the Yanks there. In France, this was number one for 11 weeks and became the second most popular song of the 21st century. Jesus Christ. In case you are wondering what number one in France was of the 21st century, it was a jam by Ilona called Un Monde Parfait which is an animated kids' TV show song about using a colouring book. Oh, good. Uh, I don't suppose that should be too much of a shock, given that they also put a four-year-old at number one for 15 weeks back in the 90s. That's true. Geordie, if you're out there, I know you're 28, but it's never too late to call Child Protective Services. Like, I mean, what even is this, Ben? Seriously, what, like, musically, what style is this? It's not EDM. It's not Eurodance. It's not hip-hop or straight-up pop. It's got kind of jangly, balearic guitars. I think maybe from cues, it's like a sped-up rumba. But the label is from Andalusia, so maybe this is some sort of regional hillside Spanish electro variation I'm not familiar with. Yeah, musically, it's hard to put a finger on. Um, lyrically, it's impossible to put <laughs> a finger on. Yeah, I mean, like you say, it does remind you of the Macarena, but... Musically, it's not quite... It's not the same beat. No. It's it's the same... It's aimed at the same audience, e.g. drunk people yep. who want a song that they can memorise with I a f- chorus that they can sing along to despite the fact that it's not in English and doesn't make any fucking sense anyway. No, and I feel like the dance craze element of it was um, thought of five minutes before the cameras yes. rolled. Yes, yes. Like, what yeah. if you made this a dance craze? <laughs> we only have five minutes. What if we just put our arms side to side yes. for a bit? Yeah, and and like, this is long, like the Macarena, it's long past the point where they bothered to put actual instructions as to how to do oh, the dance yeah. in the song. Even the half-assed ones, like, you know, walk like an Egyptian where they go, oh, just jump around a bit. Yeah. Like, this has nothing. There is no explanation. You would have to watch the video and copy it to do yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Know? But you'd only need to see the video once because it is so <laughs> fucking simple. It's ridiculous. Yes. Um, look, Last Catch-Up could never replicate the magic of this song uh, again. what a shame. They only released two more singles in their career and one of those was uh, an entry into <laughs> 2006 Eurovision. So, Why does that not fucking yeah. surprise me? <laughs> and the debut album was titled Daughters of the Tomato. <laughs> so they really went all in on the tomato I thing. Was, when, I, when I read that in your notes and then I looked up the video, I was legitimately disappointed that there's nothing tomato related. There's two different versions of the video. There's a, a cheapo original and one that looks like they flew them to Ibiza for the yep. weekend because it was 2002 but neither of them have anything about tomatoes isn't there an entire festival in fucking Italy where everyone just pegs tomatoes at each other for a day or something would it have they could have gone there in tight white tank tops and thrown sloppy have. tomatoes at each other yeah, god Captain Jack would not have missed a chance like that <laughs> I Captain tell you what Jack he would have been right on that shit for sure no doubt <laughs> So, uh, lyrically, yeah. this makes as much sense as anything else. It's completely batshit. So the song is in Spanish. There is no straight English version. Mm. Uh, as you said, it's just about a hot guy who likes to go out to the nightclub where they're playing in 2003, for some reason, Rapper's Delight by <laughs> Sugar Hill Gang from 1980, a 14 and a half minute long proto-hip-hop track about eating soggy peas at your mate's house. 
the lyrics roughly translated out. Around the corner comes Diego dancing rumba with the moon in his pupils and his turquoise suit. It seems smuggled. And there, where not even a soul can be squeezed in, e.g. the nightclub, he gets in whatever it takes, possessed by the ragatanga rhythm. I googled that. That's not a thing. And the DJ who knows him plays the Midnight Hymn, the most desired song for Diego, and he dances to it and enjoys it and sings it. A hip, a hop, a hippie, a hippie, do the hip, hip hop. So the only clue that it's the Sugar Hill Gang is that. Like, they don't actually mention that at all in it. And it's also just sounds that, nothing like the actual yes, fucking song. And it's, 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 tr- it's written in Spanish. Yeah. Like, that's why the song's called A Hira Hay, which is sort of a hip, uh, uh, I said a hay. Yeah. Like, look, but it, that it doesn't make any sense either. Like La Bamba, you can write it out in Spanish, but it's nonsense in Spanish oh, as yeah, well. Yeah, the, yeah. the chorus doesn't make any sense. So anyway, uh, that chorus has a Spanish translation of the song, but it's just Spanish gibberish copying American gibberish. Where it gets interesting is that some smooth-brained QAnon types got onto the case straight after this song came out <laughs> and took advantage of this new electronic mail to start a chain of conspiracy theories that this song was full of satanic messages. (laughs) They cited such concrete evidences as a Sirahay, just someone in Spanish saying a sede, basically, can be broken down into the Spanish phrase a sir herahay, meaning let's be heretical. Oh no. Ya de hey de hebe to de hebere, which is just someone going hibbity hibbity in Spanish. Yeah. Ya would here be the beginning of the tetragrammaton referring to Jehovah, God, as in yay, as in uh, what Kanye West prefers to be called now because oh, yeah. there's nothing wrong with his brain. <laughs> the phrase would therefore be Jehovah deha to sir, which is Jehovah. Let go of your being. Oh, no. Uh, where there isn't room for a soul, referring to the nightclub, supposedly referring to hell, Ooh. and the DJ who knows him plays the midnight hymn, referring to satanic rituals which occur at midnight, Ben. Jeeps. Anyway, you know, not much came of it. A few kids were sacrificed. A Dominican television station banned the song, and Tucker Carlson put his tiny little bow tie straight onto the case. But, <laughs> you know, yeah, like most of these things, it turned out to be bullshit. I was going to ask you, if you had to show up in hell for listening to music as these idiotic cunts say that you're going to, which song would you tell the murderers that you were in for? Would it be Judas Priest, Suicide Solution, yep. uh, Jesus is a Cunt by Cradle of Filth, or the Ketchup song? Oh, I'd go Judas Priest, I think. Yeah, yeah. I reckon highest level 99 times out of 100 for that. Yeah, um, yeah Ketchup song, yeah, it's, that'd be bad, wouldn't it, if it's sort of like... Not much credibility, really. No, not at all. Kind of all. like that guy who was serving 7 to 10 in uh, maximum security because he... Uh, pirated a videotape. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He was warned multiple times, but For sure. um, you know, it was um, don't mess with the Zohan. As he well, wouldn't have stolen a car. No, he, he thought he was safe. You know, exactly, exactly right. So look, yeah, that's completely bizarre. I didn't realise there was a satanic under sort of that. <laughs> that explains the dance move, I guess, as well. That's sort of like. You know, yes. digging your way to hell, I think. That's what <laughs> so trying to do. back in those days, it was still possible to have a localised internet phenomenon. <laughs> yeah, if exactly. that happened now, not only would that be out within three hours on Twitter, but people would have turned it into a meme. Then there would be counter-programming memes about how dumb it was, people doing TikTok dance parody versions of the dumb people misinterpreting the satanic things, yep. chicks cosplaying as Satan, singing along to it, you know. Exactly. But, yeah. 
That's good though. I'm glad that people were able to get to the bottom of what the song was really about. Yes, like, I like the idea that someone thought this is so shallow. There must be a deeper meaning here. <laughs> it has to be. <laughs> this makes no fucking sense whatsoever. Right. Why would they release a song that makes mm. no sense? There must be a satanic undertone. That to Exact this, so mentality right. explains pretty much all conspiracy theories. <laughs> Indeed, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, 1.4 million listeners on Spotify. I assume they're just listening to this on some. Worst of the 2000s playlist or something. Mm-hmm. And Nine Cents on Discogs for the CD single. All right. Um, up next, Ooh. Nelly featuring Kelly. Dilemma. Well, Four fucking, weeks. Fucking Helly. Absolutely. Now, not this isn't Nelly uh, versus Kelly as well. No. It's <laughs> Nelly featuring uh, Kelly's, which is great. Mm. Now, The Dilemma. The song's ah, called Dilemma. the eponymous Dilemma. Yep. The yes. Dilemma Nelly has is one as old as time itself, Tom, whether or not to wear a Band-Aid on his face <laughs> out in public for no fucking reason. Oh, God, the number so. of times I've gone to the front door and then been stuck yeah, there for the, 20 minutes, yep. in, wrapped with indecision. Yeah, exactly. But look, the song's multi-layered, and the other dilemma that Nelly is facing is that he wants to fuck his new neighbour, Kelly, who mm. just happens to be one-third of Destiny's Child, but she's in a relationship and has a child with the boo. Yes. So Kelly loves Nelly and only thinks about him even when she's with the boo. Yep. Um, so look, that's the dilemma there. <laughs> to fuck Kelly or not to fuck yes. Kelly when she's married and has a child. Yes. Now, firstly, I think something we need to address, Tom. What are the odds that Kelly, from Destiny's Child, moves house? Yes. She needs a new house. She moves into a, into the, you know her new apartment and it, she's in the same street... As Nelly. Yes. Now, that, that's... We, we do need to point out to people, because I had to watch the video to get this, but unlike most songs like this, these people aren't playing a sort of abstracted male character and female character. They are playing Nelly, it's Nelly and, and Kelly, Kelly. Rowland. Exactly. So in this is an alternative reality where Nelly, the singer, and Kelly Rowland, the singer, live across the, the road yeah. from each other, except Kelly Rowland is married... With a child. With a kid, yeah. Yes. Exactly. And has a crush on Nelly, the musician, who lives across the street from her. Yeah, exactly right. So the odds are to begin with seem, Yes. And then they're doing a duet together, so the odds seem crazy for that to happen. <laughs> but then look, Nelly indicates that he's not one, in the lyrics he says, I'm not one to break up a happy home, so I'll just bide my time until it's right to make a move. Mm. So it's quite the dilemma, <laughs> as he's into her and she has a partner and a child. So what is he to do? It's well, he could just not try and fuck her. He could probably just, <laughs> just go, she's in a relationship and has a child. Maybe I'll just take a step yeah, back. Yeah, same as I am, in this context, the musician Nelly, and I could fuck any old Yeah, exactly right. Now, but, uh, sorry. Yes, no, please go. I was just going to say, uh, this song was on both, unusually, Nelly's Nellyville and Kelly Rowland's Simply Deep. Oh, there you so go. It was, it, as Two uh, albums. Yeah, so this is a, a real, what were we talking, dodgy duet. But it's a yeah. 50-50. They were like, yeah. no, nah, we both want a piece of this action. Yeah. Uh, the song is arguably the biggest song of both Nelly's and Kelly's solo career. Yeah. It was Nelly's first number one single in countries such as the UK, Ireland, Australia, Belgium, Germany, and the Netherlands. He had had uh, Hot In Here before, but he, this was even more successful than that. Yeah. Um, it was and remains to be Roland's highest selling single in the US and the UK and it has sold over 935,000 copies as of 2017. So, yeah. yeah, it was a big hit for both of them. Absolutely. So, look, yeah, it was a big song. Um, you know, 
what's he going to do? You know, all I think about is you even when I'm with the boo, you know, mm-hmm. it's, oh, it's a great song, but it does ask the, the video clip also raises a few questions. It sure does. Me, so, <laughs> um, particularly in one point, it appears that Kelly texts Nelly, um, using a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet <laughs> on a Nokia 9210. Now, I don't know. Young people are probably like, what? So you, you had to use it, an Excel spreadsheet to send a text message. Now, that was never a thing. Let me point that no, out for a start. None of that makes Texting sense. has certainly changed a lot. <laughs> 20 years ago, you had to spend about 25 cents per text message. Mm-hmm. So the, yep. the money racked up really quickly. There was no such uh, thing as apps. No, exactly. You had to just text. You couldn't just get the WhatsApp or whatever. So texting has changed a lot. Don't get me wrong. 20 years ago to mm-hmm. today. But the, the main idea of typing letters into a screen no. or a keypad, that's still the same. You know, no one has ever had to use Microsoft Excel <laughs> to send a fucking text message. No. So no idea what the hell was going on with that. The only thing I can suggest is that this song as the video makes very clear, takes place in a fictional parallel universe suburb uh, called Nellyville. Yep. So perhaps texting people with a spreadsheet on a Nokia is possible in Nellyville. Yeah, definitely. I mean, what else is possible here, you might ask? Well, don't panic, because the start of the song lets us know by sampling the first four bars of his own song, oh. Nellyville, <laughs> uh, which explain as follows. Welcome to Nellyville, where all, where all newborns get half a mil. Nice. Sons get sedan devils soon as they can reach the wheel. And daughters get diamonds the size of their age. I'm talking one year get one carrot, two years get two carrots. Oh, that's good. Now, that sounds like a pretty sweet deal. Yeah. Although, I'm not sure what that would do for corner shop prices in and around the Nellyville area. Yeah. Uh, it also just goes to show that even if you have a sick Cadillac and half a million dollar trust fund, some cunt with an unnecessary band-aid on his face will still try to root your girlfriend. Yeah, that's exactly you know, right. Those people exist wherever you are. So, yeah. But I think um, Nellyville does sound like he, he's sort of one of the, at the very vanguard of, um, you know, the forefront of a universal basic income, I think. So Nellyville. Clearly, sort of, yes. To, you know, yes. His, the, his wrinkle in that is to give the person their entire lifetime's worth at birth yeah, exactly. as opposed to paying it out, you know. But I think that's sort of it. So he's providing, you know, the welfare state in Nellyville, he's sort of, I don't know whether he's just dishing out of his own pocket what's going on, but certainly it sounds like a good place to live. You get that sort of a little bit of a, a head start from, you know, people that are born outside of Nellyville. Yes. You get that half a mil, you know, the carrot that's as big as your age sort yes. of thing. So and as the French hip-hop star Geordie demonstrated, there's no one you can trust more than the parents of a very young child with large amounts of that child's money. Yeah, absolutely. So, look, Nelly and Kelly, also in the music video, they're dancing in the middle of the street, and uh, Nell- and uh, Kelly's mum has to come outside and tell her to get inside. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's a little bit embarrassing. I thought, you know, she's a big music star, he's a big music star, and it's like, Mum, I'm dancing with Nelly, and she's like, fuck, get outside, you're being too loud. So mm-hmm. Also, you married... You- I don't want to use you're the word married. skank, but you're being a skank. Yeah, you're exactly. You're being a skank, let's yeah. face it. Oh, for sure, <laughs> definitely. Yeah, I know. So, look, hot in here as well, Tom, it's great, because I, I do, you know, I'm surprised that Speaking wasn't a number one song. of skanks, sure. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, uh, yeah, because it does just feature <laughs> the song. I like the simplicity of the song. It's getting yes. hot in here, so take off all your clothes, and then the response from the female vocalist is, I'm getting so hot. I'm going to take my clothes off. So I think mm. it, it works on many <laughs> levels, like the La Catch-Up song. I think it sort of, you know, flows and ebbs, so there's a lot happening there. Yes. Or is it just as simple as getting yes, hot not, and taking your clothes not off? Not since 
uh, it was the best call and response uh, in terms of sim- simplicity until JT came along with, um, I don't know, but I'm thinking about maybe leaving with you. And all the ladies say, I don't know, but maybe I'm thinking about maybe leaving with you, <laughs> which is as grammatically excellent as it is fun to yell when you're drunk. Absolutely. But yeah. Anyway, I mean, I appreciate the effort, but unfortunately those lyrics did not result in a last ketchup style dance craze involving uh, mass public nudity. Yeah, yeah. If Nelly tried it now with Gen Z, he might be onto something. But oh, yeah, back yeah. in our day, we were too repressed. Uh, Exactly. Possibly because people like me kept throwing the word skank around that yeah, women weren't exactly. just up for randomly disrobing in public. Yeah, look, Nelly, after this album, he pulled a Guns N' Roses and released <laughs> two albums on the same day. That's a good thing to pull. Sweat and Suit. The wow. name of the two wow. albums. Wow, they good. are up there with Be Not Nobody. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but Powder Nelly, look, double albums are for pussies releasing two single albums and making your fans pay double is where it's at. Yes. So I respect you, Nelly, for pulling yes. that one. Use the, the usual erosion trick. You get yep. one album's worth of material yep. and one album's worth of B-sides and songs that shouldn't have been on anything. Mix them all up. Yep, stir them together like a gumbo that the cat's crapped in. And and you get two (laughs) mediocre albums (laughs) and you sell twice And a bunch of singles and people have to buy both. Exactly right. Yeah. What are the lyrical highlights to this? Um, Well, this was written by six different people somehow, although I'm guessing that Nelly was responsible for the bit in the chorus where Kelly Rowland, again, unusually for a song like this, playing herself uses his name specifically to tell him how great he is and ah. that she can't live with him we live without him like did you notice like normally in a song like this you'd be going like I love you can't live without you yep. this one it goes at the start of every chorus it's Nelly I love you I <laughs> Nelly can't live I love you, you. Uh, just to make sure we know that this isn't a character and yeah. Kelly Rowland wants to fuck the real life Nelly it's in particular Nelly, yeah. yes okay lyrics things like I met this chick and she just moved right up the block from me and uh, she got the hots for me, the finest thing my hood done seen. But oh no, she got a man and a son though. But that's okay because I wait for my cue and just listen, play my position like a shortstop, pick up everything mum is hitting. And in no time, I plan to make this one here mine. And that's for sure because I've never been the type to break up a happy home. But there's something about baby girl I just can't leave alone. Yeah. So once again, he's not the type to break up a marriage, but he's definitely going to as soon as possible. Yeah. Seems like a pretty bold claim for a man wearing gold-lensed wraparound sunglasses, a do-rag underneath a plaid fedora with the brim pushed back, and Avril Lavigne's cargo jorts <laughs> from Complicated. So, yeah, I'm not wondering if perhaps his mouth is writing checks that his fucking wardrobe budget can't cash. Yeah. Look, I do respect the fact that he isn't one to break up a happy home unless he's going to break up a happy Which home. he is as quickly as yeah. possible as stated in the next line of the song. For sure. So, you know, it's... it's uh, Yeah, <laughs> respect. you got to respect that, don't At that point, why, you know, like... But he doesn't usually, Tom. He, he doesn't do this all the time. <laughs> he only People does it listen sometimes. to Nelly, presumably, for dirty sex jams. Yeah. Why not just say, you know, I'm going to have sex with Kelly Rowland because she keeps seeing about how she wants to bone yeah. Nelly, me, specifically... Yeah. Like, why yeah. even pretend? No, in fact, why make her married in the song? Six people who wrote this dog shit. Why not just have her moving up the road and he gets to fuck her? Like, why does she have to be married with a kid? Yeah. <laughs> why does it need a dilemma? I don't come to Nelly songs for complex moral conundrums. Yeah. It's not called, is it getting hot in here or is it just me? <laughs> You're right. You didn't have to call it a dilemma. It could have just been, you know, all I think about is you. Oh. <laughs> 
could have just been that. We're having could, sex right now. There's oh, not a problem to be seen. Could have left out the bit about the boo. They could have done <laughs> yes, all that. That's right. You know, it wouldn't have made the also, song. Also, boo can go in the toilet with porn is one of those words that white people should never say. No, exactly. Yeah, it's um, all right, who's up next? I'll uh, just point out 15 oh, million yeah. for Nelly on Spotify, oh, yeah. 3 million for Kelly, 2 cents on uh, Discogs. Yep, that's about what you expect. Kelly would get more with TLC. Oh, than no doubt. Doing that. Um, up next is Delta Goodrum, Born to Try, One mm. Week. Now, this sucks shit. Um, this is this is my hot take, Tom. Is Delta the most boring Australian female performer of the last twenty years? She is, is there a bit like one? the musical equivalent of the new ideas they keep at the checkout. Yeah, came out. She's you know just, if, that, if that could sing and play piano, it would sound a bit like Delta Goodrum. Just seems to be wall to wall bullshit, boring piano ballads. Yes, and we're not talking about weird, quirky. No. Edgy Tori Amos style piano ballads. We're I'm just not even talking, talking about Vanessa Carlton level. No, no. And, yeah. Just talking sort of boring, like. Yeah. Although, I mean, yeah, okay, we'll get to that a bit later. But yeah, the only thing I could say in her defense again was that she was really fucking young when she wrote this. 2002 was the year of the teenage front person, for, yep. for sure. Like, well, since 1970 or whatever. You know, that stopped. Absolutely. Look, so Delta was on Neighbours 2, um, following in the footsteps of Holly Valance, you could say. And all those other people I listened to. Yep. Blake, and while, Blakeney yeah. Twins. Don't forget the Blakeney I'm Twins. Not, Don't not you them. dare not forget the Blakeney not. Twins. While Delta was arguably classier, you know, I'd, I'd take Kiss Kiss any day of the week over <laughs> this. Um, but look, Delta, the thing about this is that this song debuted on Neighbours as performed by the character she was in the role of at the time. So oh, okay. sounds very familiar to Melissa, don't go anywhere near my clit unless you're going to bang me to cats, who remember David oh, her yeah. song on E Street. So this Playing is... Playing a person who just happened to Yeah, so this is pretty... So, yeah, so Delta's on Neighbours. <laughs> her character is a singer. She sings the song on Neighbours and that's how it's debuted to the world. So yeah. really, this is just in the same league as Australian Idol bullshit. It's where you release a song on a TV show yeah. and then fans of the show will go out and buy it. That's what people used to do before reality TV. So yeah. this should get a tech, technical gimme some reggae, really. Yeah, I know what you mean. And they were publicised by the exact same things that would publicise the TV shows. So like, like I said, with supermarket magazines, your TV weeks and stuff... You get a two-for-one deal where you publicise the music and the music publicises the shitty show yeah. that they're in and stuff. Now, what oh, was the one other thing yeah, too, sorry. sorry. Uh, another reason it may sound like something from that area, the reality TV show area, is because this was co-written by uh, a person called Audius Matawarira, forgive me for that one, who also worked with everyone from Jessica Mowboy through to Paulini, Ricky Lee... Danny Eamon right back to Paulini again oh. a veritable who's who of who the fuck was that again <laughs> exactly. but yes most of those people started <laughs> off on some form of Australian Idol X Factor Simon Cowell dog shit so now yes. what was the name of that Vanessa Carlton album again Tom <laughs> no be not nobody yeah um does this does the album <laughs> of this come off give that a run for its money <laughs> Innocent Eyes that's pretty bad yeah sure yes uh, look, we know guilty feet have no rhythm. <laughs> George Michael's told us that, but 
innocent eyes. I don't really know what what that yeah. means. Uh, it's also boring again. Like, it is pretty boring. But listen, Tom, this album sold over a million copies in Australia alone. That's impressive for which Australia. Which means yeah. one in every 20 people in this country oh, owned a copy of that, which is insane. So, although, maybe not. Maybe some people just own 20, 20 25, 30 copies. That is a pretty yeah. impressive So, deal. it's the best-selling album of the decade and the second-best Australian-selling album of all time which is impressive, even more impressive when you consider it has no good songs on it. <laughs> yes. So the second best Australian selling album of all time, yeah. apparently. So there you go. Um, but I, I don't know whether that's entirely true because I think the album that was meant to have sold more copies than this was uh, John Farnham. Oh, yeah. The but then Whispering Jack when you're Whispering Jack yes which I, I think it has sold more than this but then yeah. when you think of things like ACDC for example like yeah. that's sold but what I think that's sales I think they're sales in Australia so I think that yeah. it's, it seems like a dubious claim but apparently anyway it's one of the best selling albums of all time I don't know whether that's maybe it true, sold a million that year but certainly in the decade like certainly yeah. in the decade yeah. so it's, pretty, it's still pretty impressive like you say if you can get one in 20 people to in a country to own a copy of your album it's still yep. pretty impressive so look in 2001 Goodrum released her debut single I Don't Care which peaked at number 64 on the ARIA singles charts and mm. was basically a Britney Spears yes. type pop track that no one gave a flying yeah, fuck I about that, so yeah. the record label had to reevaluate her future musical direction and the end result was piano ballads to the max yeah. so there's even a level of, of inauthenticity about this where she's sort of like tried a pop thing and it didn't yeah. work out so she went oh how about piano it's ballads so weirdly I mean again this shows you sort of Kyle Sandland's dicko Simon Cowell level of decision making because she could obviously play the piano really fucking well, but they were yep. like, no, nah, no one cares about that. Yep. Can you pretend to be fucking Britney Spears? Yeah, exactly. Like you say, that song is a straight up Britney knockoff. Yep. It even includes like the weird spoken squawky bit yeah. in the middle with the similarly dodgy, you know, distortion used to mask not being very good at singing, but minus the energy or production skill that goes into a Britney song. Yep. I mean, I still reckon it's more fun than this stuff, which is better executed, but sounds like the winner of a competition to write track 17 on disc three of songs inspired by the motion picture Dawson's Creek. <laughs> Should <laughs> such a film exist? Unfortunately, it only exists in my dreams. Yeah, look, exactly right. And look, interestingly... <laughs> Delta um, Spotify numbers, it's only 800,000, which for someone that yeah. sold so many copies, I think that's a bit well, low. Well, I think she's definitely tailed off. Like, she sort of... There was a, there was a moment there, a cultural yeah. moment, where she sort of bridged, teetering bridge, but it held long enough to sell a million copies. The Triple J youth audience, yep. the mainstream pop audience, yep. and the older people who watch Neighbours and Home and Away because they've had recent surgery on their cerebellum <laughs> and they need something to stare at while the stitches well, this slowly is like adult heal. contemporary shit, yes, basically. Yes, yeah. So, yeah. so it, she kind of bridged that gap for a bit. Yeah, exactly. And and that sort of lasted, but then it all just collapsed. And yeah, obviously she immediately became fairly daggy, so no kids would be interested anymore. Yeah. She stopped having pop hits and she's not replacing her audience with younger people because no hipster person's going to listen to fucking no exactly right she's almost like you said she's kind of become not in a malicious way but she's sort of become a byword for a certain kind of vanilla white bread pop 
stuff, you know, but yeah. Yeah, boring as hell. Look, um, before Neighbours, she was on Hey Dad, so it sounds like she dodged a bullet there. Oof, yeah. She was, at, she was actually on a bunch of Aussie stuff back in the days, and she did, like, TV ads and stuff. She was on, like, Nest Quick ads and stuff. She was oh, probably okay. advertising 1-800 reverse. <laughs> Yeah. Um, does this have any lyric on uh, Not really. Like the recent uh, similarly vacuous self-affirmation hit, This Is Me, from The Greatest Showman, uh, the lyrics here are simultaneously inarguable, yet also so obvious that they're completely redundant, really. Yeah. Doing everything that I believe in, going by the rules that I've been taught, understanding of what's around me and protected from the wolves of love, all that you see is me... And all I truly believe that I was born to try, I've learned to love, be understanding and believe in life, but you've got to make choices, be wrong or right. Sometimes you've got to sacrifice the things you like, but I was born to try. Yeah. On the other hand, to be fair to Delta, she was signed to Sony at 15 yeah. and wrote this song at 18. The debut album it came from, Innocent Eyes, topped the Aria albums chart for 29 consecutive weeks and is the second best-selling Australian album of all time, with over 4 million copies sold to date. Wow. So she could claim the Mariah Carey get-out clause, e.g. that she really hasn't led anything like a normal life, and so it's a bit hard to shit on her for struggling to write something authentic and relatable. You know, Would I prefer it if she wrote songs about her own actual lived experiences, like doing coke with Jackie O off the top of Angry Anderson's head at the Adelaide Radio Fashion Awards? <laughs> of course I would. Yeah, that's what but, she needs you know, to write songs about. We can't have everything, can we? <laughs> Otherwise, Delta might have had success anywhere outside of Australia, for instance. <laughs> Correct. Exactly. Look, um, as I said, 800,000 people on Spotify, 23 cents off Discogs. Um, yeah, it looks boring shit. And look, um, we're going to have to talk about Delta a lot more, Tom. Oh, I'm going to say that because... Uh, this album did sell a fuckload of copies and had yeah. a lot of singles on it. So yes. anyway, also they pimped this. They pimped her hard for years. Oh, did, she yeah. was like the only success they'd had in the Australian radio, yeah. Australian music industry. So to pump her up. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Up next, Tom. The last song of the year is Eminem. Lose yourself. 12 weeks at number one, wow, if you can believe that. That's four, a big ass hit. So, four weeks this year, and then another eight the following year. He so just took off shit. like a fucking rocket, didn't he? Yeah. Oof. So, you have to hand it to Eminem. He'd only been in the public eye for a few years at this stage, you mm-hmm. know, sort of not, not that many years, a couple. Um, and, you know, he'd been rapping for over a decade, but sort of hadn't had a lot of mainstream success no, until sort of a couple not. of years prior. But by this stage, uh, look, he already gets a biopic. So, you know, that's pretty good. Like, it took... Yeah. Take some artists... Dec- they never get a biopic. No. Or sort of like... not a, long between my name is and this. There really yeah. isn't much time at all. So, it's sort of... Absolutely. You're talking usually people... Like, they're making that Elvis biopic now. <laughs> this year, you know. <laughs> and he's been dead yeah, for 40 years. So, no, no, whereas, true. you know, more. Elvis has probably been dead for 50 years by now. But, yeah, look. So, this is pretty amazing that it's sort of like... It five years amazing. in the mainstream. And it's... A, let's make that. So, I mean, not only that, but it's a very grim, ugly-looking biopic. Oh, like, yeah. Like we said before, really, it's 90 minutes of someone getting beaten up and shat on, and then mm. right at the very end, they take off, you know, like it... And it's deliberately made to look grimy and stuff, which, you know, was partly to cultivate his air of 
sincerity and authenticity and so forth but it's a bit of a sell for people you really have to be into it for the music uh, like, yeah. and you did get to bang Brittany Murphy though <laughs> yes embarrassingly and then she dumps him for <laughs> one true. of his rivals that's right um, yeah but like it just goes to show how solid the music behind this was like Lose Yourself uh, reached number one in 20 countries wow. it was his first number one in the US holding the top position for 12 weeks making it the third longest chart topper from a movie soundtrack uh, ever behind I Will Always Love You and End of the Road. It became the first rap song to win the Academy Award for Best Original Song, won two Grammys and has since been certified diamond in the United States alone. Wow. Alone, which, as we said, is ten times uh, platinum. Ten million copies in the US alone. That's insane. Wow. So yeah, so this was this was just like the stamp on his right. This cunt is famous now. Yeah, <laughs> and what's what's so impressive about this song as well, Tom, is that uh, it was written on set between takes <laughs> when Eminem had some downtime. So it wasn't as if he wrote he had the, no. uh, he wrote the song beforehand. He went, okay, I've got this song. We'll bring it in and do it for the film. It was effectively just like he's in between takes um, acting, and he hadn't acted before as well. So that's pretty. I mean, he's playing no, himself. No, no. But you know, I've seen a lot of people that struggle to play themselves. Yes, in yeah. Films by just yeah. Being terrible I mean, he's acting. not the best actor no, in the world, but he's but he not holds bad it by any means. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So look, um, yeah. So wrote this downtime between takes on set, much like how Russell Crowe and Thirty Odd Foot of Grunt recorded the music video for their song <laughs> This Photograph Kills between takes when Russell had some downtime on the set of Virtuosity, <laughs> if you can recall that. So, um, I can recall that. The song, though, wasn't even on the Virtuosity soundtrack, which is weird as hell. It's that just, is weird. Just Russell Crowe in character it's, as Sid 6.0 yeah, filming a, a song that wasn't even featured <laughs> on the film at all. It weirdly manages to appear like he's filmed it on a shitty camera phone despite the fact that that would not have been <laughs> no. possible at the time yeah. it just looks like he did he must have managed to find the only crappy handicam on the set that no one yeah. was paying attention to and like they're that. setting up the next shot and Russ is like quick yes. can you film me singing this song right. in character that isn't on the <laughs> so, so when we can release a music video that looks really <laughs> expensive but it's just me basically stealing this yes. off the other thing may so. I just say possibly for the second time that the virtuosity soundtrack is bizarrely excellent. Yep. It's really, really good. Because it doesn't yeah. feature this third. Yes, that, that is a big part of it. Yeah, but no, that's a fucking great soundtrack. Yeah. So look, anyway, back to Eminem. He put the whole thing together there and then. Um, this song, I mean, sort of on the set for the film. Um, yeah, so... And also, if you haven't seen 8 Mile and you don't want to watch it, <laughs> then he sums up the whole plot of the film. Yes. In the song. I think effectively the first verse of the song, so you don't even have to listen to the whole song. Yeah. So if you just want to know about what Eight Miles about, you can just listen to this song, yeah. the first bit of it, and it sort of tells about. And as you said, Tom, it is effectively a, I'm an up and coming. You know, I live in a trailer park, and I want to be a rapper. And then the yes. trials and tribulations. I've only of got to one do that. shot to try. Yeah. Exactly right. So, but it's, he says he's only got one shot, well, but it, in the film it turns out that he has two shots because. <laughs> He fails early on and then comes back yes, again to I do it. Yes, I think he so may even get three shots. He might I'm get not... three, well, <laughs> four to five shots, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Look, at first I thought that was weird. Like like you said, uh, this is our first movie song of the year. Yeah. They're less common on the charts going into the noughts. And here we have a classic 80s style first person jack up the hero slash narrate the entire plot song and it's a number one yep. and the entire video is just a five minute long commercial for the movie. 
but it's rap instead of a power ballad. Yep. But it's easy to forget because of his excellent skincare routine and baseball hat collection. But Eminem is, in fact, six years older than me. Okay. He's turning 50 this year. Ah. Uh, so he's 100% a child of the 80s. And so he grew up with those movie songs too. Yeah. Like he grew up listening to, Do you got to fight for the top of the mountain? Yeah. Now I'm going to summarise the plot of the film. Yep. So this is when he thinks movie song, he's thinking... You know, well, I tell the story of the film, Absolutely. you know, and uh, it's the hero getting himself jacked up so he can crane kick the bad guy, you know, in the final karate tournament. Look, at I the imagine, end of the film. yeah, I imagine that in his trailer, um, you know, he was probably listening to Stan Bush the Touch <laughs> to sort of get. I like to think up. so. Or so, Peter Satira's the, <laughs> the Glory of Love, of Love yeah. from Karate Kid Part Two. So yeah, absolutely. Look, um, yeah, this is this is good. It's a good song. It's enjoyable. Um, fast pace, keeps on moving, yeah. keeps going. Does this is one of the doesn't rely on the comedy of the other Eminem song we talk about this no. year, but doesn't have that sort of depressing sort of it sad boy no, bullshit it that he does later on. It's is, serious, um, but it's not sort of complaining and yeah. mopey and yeah, exactly. you know, emo. And it doesn't. I thought that might be a sample that red that powers the whole song, but yep. it's not. This is it doesn't really have any obvious samples in it. It's just you just know. Dre just pumping out yeah, some, some I guess beats on some the really sick beats. Yep, good. Um, what else? Your lyrics. Uh, lyrically, what I find interesting about these lyrics is the contradiction between the intro plus the chorus idea of you only get one shot. What if you only had one chance? The music, the moment, etc. <clears throat> and the choruses and the movie's actual message including the tagline, which is every moment is another chance to turn it around, which is weirdly itself pinched from Vanilla Sky mm. for some reason. But basically <laughs> that's the opposite message of the song, Chorus, which is to say that success is a process of endlessly getting up from being knocked down over and over again, Rocky style, but with the sort of John Paul Sartre-esque positive side that every moment is a new opportunity to change and reinvent yourself, which was yeah. like on the poster of the film. Yeah. I'm not sure if that was deliberate, but maybe it was just a contradiction that passed and nobody thought anything of it. But I think most people probably just appreciate this for the clever rhyme schemes like his palms are sweaty, knees weak, arms are heavy, there's vomit on his sweater already, mum's spaghetti... So, you know, that's two lines into the song and we already know he's inexperienced, he's terrified, and he lives with his mum. Yeah. Well, that or maybe his mum owns an Italian restaurant with extremely poor food safety standards and he's on the dunny shitting himself backwards, one or the other. Yeah, you know, absolutely. He's got gastro or it's the start of 8 Mile. Yeah, look, you know, he talks about how his palms are sweaty, weak knees, arms are heavy, but um, <laughs> I want to know what's going on with his testicles. So... <laughs> <laughs> Why was that not in the song? So I don't I'm know. guessing his balls are sweaty. As yeah, well. well, yeah, I'd prefer that if it's sort of <laughs> my balls are sweaty, weak knees, arms are heavy. You need that guy from Point Break who goes balls are like this big man. <laughs> was Sorry. it Flea? Was it no? <laughs> big wave surfing with macho assholes with a death wish band. I've said it many times. <laughs> exactly right. Exactly. That's why we don't go down to Bells when it's the 50 year storm. So that's right. Yeah, I won't be doing that tomorrow, I'll tell you what. Uh, I don't know, is it the 50-year storm tomorrow? I, hope so. I do have to go down there because I accidentally threw my police badge into the water after I nearly had sex with Patrick Swayze yeah, in the surf. Yeah, uh, 
it'll still it's be there. Tense, Just take you know. a metal detector and you'll be okay, yeah. definitely. Um, look, so that's it. That's that's the last song of the year. Um, I think we'll probably get to talk about Eminem as well. I might. I don't know whether I'm, everyone knows who Eminem is <laughs> about this guy. Yeah, I, I don't think, really. I didn't really do a lot of research into Eminem, but I think yeah. Look, it's it's pretty self. Well, I mean, this is literally film. from a. Fi- yeah. yeah, I mean, the film wasn't a direct autobiographical no, thing. No. He plays a character called Rabbit or Jimmy. Jimmy Smith or something, but it's a thinly veiled. It's an it's a, a, a wannabe rapper in Detroit, so it's about yes. as close to home as it could be. Yeah, so. and then then the song is all about how hard his life was. The song actually, the lyrics actually go in a weird direction. In the song, it's like the sequel to the movie. Like it starts off with him, you know, you've got to lose yourself in the moment. Yep. Da, da, da. But then like the next verse is about him getting rich and famous. Then losing track of his partner and his wife and stuff like that, fine. But then it keeps going, and then he's like, then he loses all his money. He gets old. Nobody likes him anymore. And then gets. And then the third verse is about him. Oh, I can't do anything else, so I got to do this instead. It's weird. It's like he's sort of. He's like he's fantasizing about failing in his career before he's even gotten to the halfway through the second course it's what if maybe that was that, what he was actually afraid would happen to him in the end or something like that what if it all comes true will he seem as some sort maybe. of Nostradamus type figure but then again he could also <laughs> plot his own downfall so it does come true if he wanted to so it's sort of is he predicting the future but he has the control so yeah wait and see I guess um Eight Mile Two, Tom. Do we do you, do we see that coming out when he's Nine Mile? Yep, where he's he's older and his career's in sort of like the wrestler, you know, in that how his career's decline and he has to keep rapping and then maybe he meets yeah. say Adam Sandler and they have to form like a rap duo and it's like ah. I'd watch that I'd watch that definitely so I think that'd be pretty good so um, look that's it for the year in terms of the number one songs that didn't quite reach number one some great ones this year Tom Superman by Five for Fighting Christ Um, (laughs) this is the start of this sort of train (laughs) this horse rock stuff this is not a ballad it's not rock but it's got guitars in it kind of yeah that's definitely in that puss rock category Um, that's post post grunge it's I think, not in that don't yep. even touch that with grunge that's not it's not alternative no. it's not grunge it's just nothing yep uh, Murder on the Dance Floor by Sophie Ellis Bexter mm, told you she missed her calling playing sexy evil villainesses in Midsummer Murders yeah absolutely did they ever solve that murder on the dance floor that Sophie has mm. referred to so I don't know There's a, that might be a spin off for this podcast time we get yes. to the bottom of that Hot in Here by Nelly of course um, and then Get Over You Again by Sophia Ellis Bexter Better Man by Robbie Williams but probably my favourite song of the year Tom um, Heaven uh, Brian Adams covered by <laughs> DJ Sammy so oh, DJ Sammy. if you love Brian Adams Heaven which I do <laughs> wait until you pump 160 BPMs under that and get DJ Sammy doing some vocal work on top and it is next level so that's fantastic so yeah um, yeah you're, you're a DJ Sammy fan too. Oh, right? I'm a Sammy head. I go, we go way back, ever since you did that cover of uh, Boys of Summer, you know. <laughs> yep, DJ Sammy, uh, Boys of Summer, Heaven by Brian Adams. That is what, you should be aiming for that quality, not the DJ <laughs> Otzi no. or Scooter bullshit. No, so. fuck Scooter, Jesus. Cool, all right, well, thanks a lot. Um, we'll be back next week uh, or... It depends if I get coronavirus again. It might be <laughs> we might be back next month with uh, 2003. So yeah, 
thank you. Yeah. Cheers, guys. See you later. Adios, as Lust Catcher would say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they wouldn't. That Discord. I'm just going to loop you doing that for six hours. So. <laughs> Why does a podcast go 